tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today on this very, very cold morning indeed. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Uh, you can text on WhatsApp 083 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Coming up on the show this morning in just a few moments, I will be speaking to Michael Dowry and uh, he will respond to the events at Racket Hall. Ali is out and about for us today. She's reporting from an ongoing protest at a hotel in Fermoy. Muriel Cuddy will uh, talk to us about mobility. Uh, Clonmel's first Mexican-style restaurant. We'll hear a package on that and also farming news with uh, Katrina. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Let's have a look at what's making headlines on some of your newspapers today. The Irish Examiner, they're leading with a story that the government is to consider purchasing a €57 million euro, uh, student accommodation complex in Cork to house international protection applicants. Also on the Examiner today, a woman has told how she watched as her husband uh, tried to resuscitate their 21-year-old daughter uh, after she collapsed at home just hours after being discharged from a university hospital, Limerick. And also that story, right across uh, the newspapers today, the HSE and the GP have apologised to the mother of a six-year-old boy for the treatment uh, her son received after he swallowed a battery, can you believe? The Irish Independent... Their main story, extra nurses in GP practices, more reserve guardee and additional English language uh, teachers for schools are some of the options on the table as part of a, a new package for areas that have accommodated the most migrants. Uh, the Irish Times and uh, their lead story, Northern Ireland, will come to an unprecedented standstill today as up to 170,000 public sector workers and take part in the largest strike in Northern Ireland in a generation. Uh, Irish beef exports to China can resume immediately after the Chinese government uh, confirmed it would uh, reopen its market uh, during a visit to Dublin of the Premier, Mr Lee. And finally, and this one annoyed the living you-know-what out of me this morning. It's uh, the main story on the front of the Irish Daily Mail. Minister Heather Humphreys, She's rebuked those protesting outside of asylum seekers, uh, asylum centres, I beg your pardon, questioning how they can demonstrate in the middle of the day when everyone else is working. The Fine Gael TD also insisted that emigration has been good for Ireland and is helping to pay for pensions with PRSI contributions from foreign nationals amounting to €3 billion Euro per annum. But I'd love to know what you think about that and uh, the other headlines today. Uh, 083 311 And as I say, if you want to email us, it's uh, tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, Deputy Michael Lowry was speaking in the Doyle uh, regarding the ongoing issue surrounding uh, the movement of asylum seekers into Racket Hall Hotel in Ross Green. He joins me now. Good morning to you, Michael. 
Morty fan. And thanks very much indeed for, for coming on with us uh, today. Um, first of all, before I talk about what it is that you said in uh, the door, can I just get your general thoughts on what's been happening and unfolding in Ross Grey? Well, could I say first of all that obviously it has been a very contentious, it has been a very emotive issue. Uh, it has been a difficult week for everybody involved, including uh, or especially, I would say, the people of Ross Grey and indeed for the migrants that were coming into Ross Grey. So, um, and what's annoying about it and what annoys me very much about it is that this was avoidable had the government listened to the warnings that they were getting and, and the number of messages that was conveyed to them and in particular on the four different occasions last year that I spoke in the Dáil where I referenced this and said that Ross Grey was an example of how things shouldn't be done and that was creating a huge level of problem, a huge level of upset, a huge level of upheaval in the community, that there was a reaction and there was a response and the government needed to act. And really what we've seen from the government is uh, totally reactive. There was nothing proactive about what they did. It was totally reactive. So all in all, it has been extremely difficult. When when I have to say, like everybody dealt with this in a different way, I'm talking about politics now, but mm. when this news broke, um, the first thing I did was contact my local councillor in Ross Grey, Shane Lee, and we discussed the impact of this decision on the community and in view of everything that we had done previously over the past uh, 12 months, we were in full agreement that this was a step too far. And we decided uh, to take a stand and to reflect the views and the concerns of the local people. And we committed to ourselves that we would do that in a careful, in an accurate, in a respectful and in an honest manner. And the fact, I suppose, and the reality now is that the people of Ross Grey responded uh, themselves they responded to decisions by the government and through their unity of purpose, they have forced the government to react. Uh, the response by the government is most definitely due to public pressure. Unfortunately, by the time the penny had dropped to the government and the representative damage was done to the image and the character of the town of Ross Grey. And that, for me, is the unfortunate bit. A lot of this could have been avoided. But, but the people of Ross Grey at this point, Michael, they've been stigmatised, they've been insulted, they've been made fun of just because they were expressing their concerns, you know? Well, look, as I said, the present uh, situation uh, was unacceptable. It was avoidable. And as I said in the doll yesterday, uh, you know, if, if the government had listened, if they had responded and if they had acted to addressing the police, policing, the education and the medical, the social and the recreation needs of the town, uh, we wouldn't be where we were. And what we have now is a, a flurry of face-saving proposals after the damage has already been done. And I think it's very important to understand here that the flawed immigration policy of the government and the decision to overburden Ross Grey that has caused immense damage to the image, to the social cohesion and to the well-being of the town and its people. And the people of Ross Grey feel that they had been taken for granted. And I have to say, uh, from the reaction and the response that I got from Ross Grey and what Shane Lee has got from Ross Grey, it will take a very high-powered, coordinated and managed response to reclaim 
uh, the shattered confidence of the people of Rossgrave. Yeah, we, we're getting a lot of response this morning to uh, Councillor Michael Smith's comments on national radio yesterday where he said our town has to work to recover. Um, a lot of work on the ground has been lost to try to rebuild the image and the character of the people of Rossgrave over the last uh, few days. That image will be with us for a long, long time. We're trying to attract foreign investment, but now we are attracting national and international attention for all of the wrong reasons. But just to pick out the, some of the wording of that, the character of the people of Rossgrave, what do you make of that statement? Well, I have to say that that's an insult to the people of Ross Grey. The people of Ross Grey were out uh, there protesting. Everybody is entitled to protect the local services, protect the town and make sure that it has the services that are needed for the local people. And I, I find it very difficult to understand the approach of the political parties to this immigration policy. I read last week uh, on the Sunday Business Post where Eamon O'Keefe, the grandson of Eamon de Valera, came out and said that Fianna Fáil had no policy, that he had tried to raise it on a number of occasions with the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party and he wasn't allowed. Now, it's, it's absolutely difficult to take that in, that a party in government haven't had an internal discussion in relation to it. And effectively, the, the principal point you have to make is that there is no policy. Uh, and I have had meetings over the last two days. I have had telephone calls and meetings with ministers and what have you. And they do accept now that the, their policy isn't tenable going forward. They're trying to change direction. But they sh should have foreseen this. They should have planned for this. And we should have a joined up, coordinated and managed response from government, that has been non-existent, hasn't, hasn't taken place. And what about that response? Um, it seems a bit ridiculous, the notion of one hotel being used to accommodate people and then the possible purchase of another hotel in the town as some sort of community hub hotel. What do you make of that as a response? Well, look, um, I will do all and everything I can to support and assist Rostry, and I have done that uh, over the past three years in particular. I've been very active in successfully promoting projects and development such as Gantley Street, the Digital Hub for the REACH project, the Market Square development, and also the, the provision of a new school for Colosse de Pubble. So there's a lot happening in Rostry. There's a lot of positivity in Rostry. And... Um, I can, there's more we can do in relation to the hotel. Like You have to say, every politician that I met yesterday, uh, to be quite honest, they were astonished that the government could actually close a functional hotel, that you had one arm of the state supporting projects in Ross Grey, and then you had another state department actually commandeering, closing down a, a, a fully functional hotel. And then in a knee-jerk reaction, they go in and they buy another one. Now, that has advanced to the stage because I one of the, uh, it was an individual interest in that hotel. He contacted me and he said to me that he had offered 600 for it and he was told that uh, he had no prospect of purchasing it unless he came up to around 900. So I, uh, my understanding now is that hotel was is actually... Uh, agreement is in place, they're waiting to exchange contracts and to go through the legalities and that that part of it is a done deal for Ross Gray. 
The next question after that is the hotel is in poor condition, so there's going to have to be substantial um, refurbishment of the hotel. That's going to require further capital funds. And I think this is where, as I said yesterday, there's practicalities that have to be looked at in relation to this. So does the the remainder of the capital fund come from the Community Recognition Fund? Uh, And if it does, will other areas in the county suffer? And we also have a position of the local property tax. Where does that come in? And will that impact on the ability of the council and the state to buy other projects, other buildings in Thurlis and other places around the county? And then as it goes forward, uh, how is it managed? Is it a for-profit organisation? Is it a for-profit venture? If it loses money, who picks up the tab? And um, I think it also confirms in the purchase of that, it confirms that the racket hall is no longer going to be a 12 months contract. It, they obviously have decided that racket hall is going to have a rollover contract and that racket hall is going to be a reception centre uh, for immigrants uh, in the long term. Because other than that, why would you be doing what you're doing in Ross Grey? So there's a lot of questions to be asked about the ongoing uh, running of it, the day-to-day cost of it, and where will those, where will the money for that come from? But look, um, as I said yesterday, I'm prepared to give it every consideration. I'm prepared to assist and support. If it's good for the town, I'll support. As simple as that. Um, you spoke about your own contributions to the Doyle on uh, the question of uh, immigration. Matthew McGrath was on the programme on Monday. He basically said you were hypocritical. Can I just play you a few seconds of what he said and give you a chance to rebut? Ha- ha- have a listen to this. I, when I call votes uh, several uh, Tuesdays on the order of business to have a debate on this, Mike Lowry consistently went in and voted it down with the government. So, voted with the government to not have a debate. And now he wants to tell people he raised this in the Doyle. He did maybe two or three times. One day after 15 minutes after voting it down, this is the hypocrisy that we're getting from these politicians. They know this situation is out of control and I don't know why they just uh, keep uh, supporting it. Deputy Cahill and Deputy Kelly weren't in Ross Grey. What do you make of that? Voted down the uh, idea of having um, a a discussion on uh, immigration in in, in the Doyle. Well, when we speak about immigration, I think we have a responsibility to be careful in our language. And I have to say... I want to be disassociated from Matthew McGrath in terms of the way he has responded to this issue. Um, He's talking about conspiracy theories. And I have to say there's very few people, there's no at all impressed with Matthew's performance. I, the way I operated the doll is if I see merit in something, I would support it. If I don't, I don't. My, as he has said there, on four different occasions in the doll, I raised the problems and the difficulties that they have in Ross Grey and that the people of Ross Grey had. And those difficulties were around the fact that we didn't have, weren't able to get extra Gardaí, that we weren't able to get extra classrooms and teachers, extra doctors, dentists, and extra recreational facilities. Uh, so, look, um, Matty's performance was in the doll and Matty's seeking headlines with uh, incendiary comments, incendiary comments uh, doesn't do anybody good. Uh, you, you, ha- you, have to, you have to make your point and you have to make it in a fair way. And you can't be racist and you cannot... Uh, be anti-immigrant. Well, I'm sure uh, he would disagree profoundly with you now at the idea that he's being racist. 
Well, I think all of his comments in the Dáil would indicate that he's moving in that direction. When I hear the conspiracy theories that he espouses in the Dáil, uh, to be quite honest, people are upset about it, but they've come to accept it and they've now come to ignore many of the comments that he makes. Can I finally ask for a response uh, to that? It's it's in the mail today. Minister Heather Humphrey, she's rebuked those protesting outside of asylum seekers' uh, centres and, and I presume she was making reference to, to, um, to Rosgrave, questioning how they can demonstrate in the middle of the day when everybody else is working. Is that not a very unfortunate comment? Well, it wouldn't be accurate. Uh, it's not an accurate comment because in the situation of Ross Gray, we had ordinary, decent citizens of the town of Ross Gray involved in this protest. The protest was a peaceful protest. The people, in my view, were exceptionally responsible. Uh, they were very dignified in the approach that they took. And when the far right, uh, some of Matty's uh, supporters from the far right, when they tried to infiltrate the uh, the protest, they were removed. They were asked to leave because people of Ross Grey wanted to make their point, but they wanted to make it in the appropriate way. So I, it's not fair to categorise anybody, uh, it, it, anything other, uh, that, that it was a dignified protest carried out very well organised, very well managed and um, I think generally speaking the people of Ross Grey can be very proud of the fact that they've highlighted the flawed policy that put Ross Grey in the position that it's in and that we're now getting a response. My duty and my responsibility and my obligation as a public representative has always been, I felt, to listen to the concerns of local, to attend a meeting and if I'm asked to attend a meeting, I don't know how you can respond to local issues if you don't hear them, if you don't listen to them, and then you go away and you assess it and you see what can be done to address it. That's the, the approach I always take. And, and uh, speaking of response, what did you make of the uh, Garda response to what happened and how that was handled on the day that resulted in scuffles and skirmishes and some very unfortunate pieces of video going up on, online and the like? Well, what did you make of that? Well, I think, uh, you know, um, first of all, the number of Gardaí that turned up. I've been looking for the last two years for additional members of the Garda force to be located and available for work in Ross Grey. And we got no response. We were told that the numbers didn't exist and that sir, they were already stretched. The number of Gardaí wasn't sufficient to give additional Gardaí to Ross Grey. I understand now that the Department of Justice and the Commissioner have done a U-turn in relation to that and that we are going to get additional uh, Garda members in Ross Grey and I very much welcome that. In relation to what happened during that week, it was rather dramatic when you saw uh, something like 62 to 63 Gardaí uh, advancing on Ross Grey and surrounding the building and what have you. Uh, it was rather dramatic to say the least of it. People did respond to that. I wasn't there, uh, but I got a lot of commentary from people who were there, felt that it was over the top and that it was unnecessary and that it would be far more productive if somebody had come up to the the organisers and said to them, look, we have 17 women and children who who were taking to the centre, explain, and I, I think they would have got a response from the locals to say, Go ahead, but they—they they did, you know—the whole thing happened. They had, they had no idea who was on the bus, 
And as you see, since it emerged that it was women and children that were in the hotel, the locals came out to them, greeted them, met them and left them toys and what have you and any kind of support they needed for the children. So that was the that was the atmosphere that prevailed. And um, look, it, everything has happened now and uh, we're still in the same position where Ross Grey has a massive drain, a massive drag on all its services. Uh, and I've mentioned the services there already to you. We have a problem mm. with overcrowded schools. We have a problem with not enough teachers. We have a problem with extra classrooms. We have a problem with extra Gardaí. Uh, our doctor surgeries are full capacity. Dentists, these, these uh, asylum seekers obviously need the same as everyone. They need uh, the, uh, the access to medical care, which includes doctors and dentists. And they also need some rec- recreational facilities, not just to be hanging around with nothing to do all day. So they are the issues that have to be addressed right. now. A, and, lot, uh, a lot of people on to us uh, taking issue with you referring to Matty McGrath as racist. Do you want to reword that? Do you want to re- rethink that? Well, look, what I'm saying is if if Matty is not racist, I accept that he's not racist. Uh, but unfortunately, the language that he uses at times would lead people to believe that he could possibly be racist. So I think Matty needs to be far more careful with his language. Uh, you know, in in the future. And uh, quite a lot of our listeners as well wondering how you'll be able to support this government in the future with what you've been saying to me this morning. Well, my position in politics has always been, and I'm in politics a long time, and I have survived in politics because the people uh, have given me the privilege of representing him from Tipperary. The people of Ross Grey have given me that, of Ross Grey and all of Tipperary have given me the privilege of representing them. And the way I approach politics is I try to be positive, I try to be proactive, I try to be constructive, and I judge every issue as it arises. And on this particular issue on immigration, uh, the people of Ross Grey have been failed by this government policy. It has created enormous problems for them. I've tried to address those issues and highlight them. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned on immigration policy, I, I have, I, I'm disappointed with the government. I'm not happy with the government. Their ministers have been told that very forthrightly by me in the last number of days. On other issues, I judge them as they arise. And I think you have to be that way. I mean, there are people that go to the doll and every other day they give out the land-based ministers uh, they're in favour of nothing and they're against everything. That's not my way of doing things. If I see that the government are doing a good job in one sector, I'll, vote, I'll support them. If I think they're doing a bad job, I'll vote against them. All right. Uh, Michael, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning here. That's Deputy Michael Lowry speaking to us this morning. 1800 938 007, our free phone number. The text and WhatsApp is only 3 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie It's now day seven of the Racket Hall protest in Ross Grey. We thought it might be interesting to compare what's happening in Ross Grey to similar protests happening right across the country. Now, we didn't have to venture too far because just over uh, the border in Fermoy, residents there have been staging a protest for over two months. And our reporter, Alison Highland, is in Fermoy for us uh, this morning. She joins me now. Ellie, good morning to you. Will you give us some background on what's been going on in Fermoy for the last couple of months? Sure, Fran. Yeah, I'm live here in Fermoy, just outside Abbeville House this morning, where uh, they're in day 60 of their protest here. Although it's not essentially a protest, more of a vigil, it's been described to me this morning. Laura Boyle is with us, who's from the group. Laura, explain to me, because I kind of consider what you're doing here to be preemptive as opposed to reactive, which is what's happening in Ross Gray. So explain to me why you've taken the decision to have your vigil here. Um, yeah, so I we got that letter, that, that famous letter the communities get. We got that on the December the 12th, that the use of the house was imminent. And in general, in the other towns that have experienced this, people are generally moved in within 48 hours. We're still, the house is still empty. But our, our vigil and our campaign actually started in early November because I live very close by and a few others of us noticed you know, changes to the house and indeed they were actually legal changes that were being made to the house because it was defacing the facade of the house. Um, so we were... It's a protected it. structure. Yes, because it's yeah. a protected structure. It's 1840 um, that house was built and actually most of Fermoy is a protected structure in fact and I live in a Georgian building just up the road there as well so I know the intricacies of these these buildings so we were on the ball way in advance of getting that letter and we had meetings here with the community in front of the house way before we even decided that we would put the you know the tent and they maintain a 24 hour 7 um, 24 7 hour uh, you know what I mean Um, uh, vigil so I, I don't know is that behind our success in the fact that the house is still not in use. It could be because we had a lot of groundwork done before we set up our campaign here. Yeah, so what's being proposed then for Abbeville House as far as you know? Well, most absolutely categorically what's proposed for Abbeville House is 56 male IPAS um, applicants. And that has been, that has not changed in all the applicant, in all the documentation we have seen. When I initially was engaging with the owner, Adrian McCarthy, I mean, it's, his own staff have told me that is the owner of the house. He told me we should push for women and children. Um, and that if we did push and if we went through our local representatives, that w- there was a chance we could get women and children here. But number one, the lines of communication were so were so clouded, we couldn't find the appropriate people to speak to, even our councillors. And I've seen this in the media recently saying even councillors have been kept in the dark, local councillors. So they didn't even know the lines of communication. Of course, we sent off random emails to Roderick O'Gorman's office. But I mean, who knows who's getting them, where they're landing. So we didn't know who or how to. Um, and we had many meetings in my house up there on how to find the correct lines of communication but of course as our campaign has evolved we have moved now from being willing to accept women and children I'm afraid to say and it paints us in a bad picture and we're aware of that our campaign now is very firmly Abbeville House should be for the community we have no accommodation in the town we'd be very happy to see it used for um people who've been evicted from their house for emergency accommodation for domestic abuse victims um 
So that, that is where we are now and there's a whole other very complex story around the use, the use I would say, um, and the exploitation I would say of women and children that are in this country seeking refuge, being used as pawns, weaponised as we saw up in Ross Cray the other day. A lot of people in Ross Cray said that they felt that the transfer of people there, of mostly women and children, was very cynical. Is that how you view it here as well? I mean, absolutely. I think the person who made the decision to bring women and children into that um, powder keg of an environment, it, it, it should all be very firmly landed at their door. The responsibility for the abuse that those children experienced are not abuse. They, I would, I would actually counter that they did experience abuse. It was a scary, I'm sure, very scary um, situation when you three units of the riot squad there for ordinary people like we are here in the tent. Well, public here this order. Morning. I think officially they say it's self-cap public order units. Okay, sorry, sorry. Just for clarity. Terminology, thank you for for clarifying that. But for me, personally, I wouldn't care if I see three or four or five or six guard vans pulling up. It's going to be very scary. Even watching it, I found it very scary. I was going to ask you that. I mean, what was, how was the the feeling here? I mean, you're here 60 days now. And when you see that protest in Ross Gray was happening for four days and that happened, did it make you think, God, that could be us tomorrow? It certainly did. I, I, I suppose naively for many weeks I thought they would never do that to us. And the guardie that we've spoken to down there, the superintendent, many weeks ago told my husband and I, I fully support and respect your right to peaceful protest, which was a great assurance for us. And um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so I was sure that there's no way our own guard force, who's, 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 who, who, who are, you know, have this cherished role of looking after their citizens, would, 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 would take on a role like that and run roughshod over the, over the citizens and allow them to be so, um, you know, so mistreated by the media and everything. It's just all so, so very tragic day for our country, I think. Because we heard that as well uh, from people in Ross Gray, that they were saying that they'd been branded as far right, even though they'd made great efforts to make sure that it was only a local protest. Are you having that issue here that you're branded as far right because you're setting up your vigil here? Well, of, of course, we've been called far right and a whole lot worse than far right. But far right, the meaning of that, I mean, apparently, according to Helen McEntee, the, re, the meaning of far right is anyone who disagrees with the government. I'm sorry, we disagree with the government on this. We, dis, we feel the bath is overflowing, turn off the tap, at least close, close the borders, address the mess that's in the country at the moment, and then maybe develop a, a more sustainable um, immigration plan into the future. So if disagreeing with the government's policy on immigration makes us far right, well then we are far right. But I mean the classical definition of the word, none of us here align with that. And to be fair, anyone who's come and visited us, and I, I want to dispel this myth that there's something wrong about people coming into our community from outside it. Ireland is a small country. We're a small population. If people in Mallow or Mitchellstown or Tralee or up in Galway want to come and show their their solidarity with us and spend a few hours in the tent and have a cup of tea with us, what is wrong with that? After all, our detractors are saying bringing the whole of North Africa and the rest of the world into the house right beside us here. And we're not allowed to have our friends and neighbours from Tralee and my family are there and have come up and sat in the tent with us. I, you know, I, I feel that that again is another spurious argument that's being weaponised again, that it's not locals. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the core group who man this tent 24-7 all live within a radius of the town and we're, we're juggling, manning this tent with our um, jobs and with shifts and with days off and with early mornings before we go into work, which is what I did this morning, for example, every single one of us, like the, the slanderous words that have been inflicted on us about being wasters, drug addicts, vermin. I mean, it is, I think people are losing if they're using that kind of terminology because we all hold our heads up high in this tent. We are all 
concerned about our community and that's about as far as it goes. And tell me about the impact on Fromai with the influx of refugees. I'm not too sure of the figure of what exactly is here, but I know they're, they're in a number of vacant, well, formerly vacant premises here, aren't they? Do we have a, an indication of how many are here at the moment? Well, we know, I think it's about 30 in the Grand um, Ukrainians. I, I know they're not considered, they're a different class of which is almost discriminatory between refugees. That They're a higher level of refugee, whatever that's supposed to be about. But then we have St. Joseph's, which the first load that came into there was 77 people. There were women and children. We're told the Ukrainians, there didn't seem to be any Ukrainians there. But now the numbers have been gradually increased. And I know I was speaking to a fireman recently who told me he had checked out a building up there that had just been converted, I believe, from a children's crash into accommodation. There was six men to a room there. So the numbers are going up there. Um, it starts, I think it was initially prepared for 120 or 30, but we see new faces in the town every day. We've seen people dragging suitcases through the town, dropped in the town in this really sneaky fashion. Yeah, you were saying that they're not coming in buses really anymore, no, are they? No, we've seen people walk through town dragging suitcases, foreign people obviously, and up the hill to St. Joseph. So it appears, but of course, without any dialogue or engagement, how would we know? Who knows? There could be anything up to 200 people there. There's loads of buildings on that complex. It's almost mm. like a gated community now. So um, who knows? There are buildings being renovated up there. Um, and there's a whole lot of other buildings in the town being all of a sudden that have been lying derelict for years, yeah. all of a sudden being revamped. And this is causing a lot of consternation and concern amongst us yeah. all because what does this mean? Why would anyone be doing that? You know, um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're on guard about a lot of other potential buildings in the town. Yeah, let me come back to you, Anna, because I want to speak to some of the other people here as well. Uh, Jamie, I might speak to you, actually, if that's okay. I know you've been manning the vigil here a number of nights. What's been the reaction from local people here? Uh, the local reaction is like they have been, some of them are against us, some of them are with us. And we, we, we welcome everybody around the town here. And anyone that's what's coming to from other towns to come in here to, to us, so like it's been good so far. A year and day sixty now. I mean, when you look at what happened in Ross Gray this week, how does that make you feel? Oh, it disgusts me. To be fair, like it, like the guards are against. They were just disgraced what they done. I, I stand by Ross Gray. I stand by everybody else that's doing it, and I I will try my best to get up to some of these places myself. Uh, how many numbers do you have then involved in this all together? I know I'm, I'm catching you on the hop now, but maybe an estimate. <laughs> an estimate, I'd say we have about a, roughly about 100 here, I'd say. Really? Roughly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, like, we kind of, as Laura said, yeah, we'll go, like, we're, we're taking in shifts and we from breaks from work, days off, holidays, we're all here. Is it hard going after 60 days now? Does it get a bit? It, it's tough. It is tough at times, but do you know what? The, the people that are around here, that we come down to they're like family now at the moment and we all get on along together yeah. and it's it's so good to be actually the environment down here is actually brilliant yeah i might walk around yeah. as well annette i have you eyed up there i might come to you tell me what was your decision to get involved here i have two daughters and i have three <laughs> granddaughters um and i'd be very concerned about my granddaughters um one is 13 and one is 10 so I just feel it's not, it would not be safe for them. It's not safe at the moment because we don't know who these people are. We don't know their makeup, or their religion. Their, we don't know what they stand for. Yeah. Whereas at least with our Irish people, we have some idea. And we have some idea of who lives in the town. But we know absolutely nothing about these people. Yeah. We don't even know where they come from. And I suppose going by what was said here as well this morning, you don't even have a definite number of how many is in the town either, really, do you? No, we don't. Yeah. No one communicates with us. No one. Well, has there been much kind of political support to you from public reps? 
we have two very um, good lads. Uh, we have Frank Roach and Willem O'Leary. Um, and that, that's, that's our limit. Yeah. We have four local uh, TDs. Uh, not one have even rang us, texted us, called. They're an absolute disgrace. An absolute disgrace. Like we have other representatives, councillors as well. Um, we have one particular man, he called Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, or Christmas Day. We didn't see him since. And he's a local man, a local businessman. And it's an absolute disgrace that they can't come over and just give us a spot. We don't ask them to sit here with us. Yeah. Just come over and say, hello, girls and boys, how are you? That's as much as we'd like. Yeah, and maybe answer some questions of concerns that you have. Yes. Uh, Shane, I might go to you then. What led to you becoming involved here in the vigil? Uh, well, I moved to Fomoy about three years ago, and obviously I seen this down there, and I just come down because I believe it's not right because they're putting 56 men into a small... I, I think there's about eight bedrooms in there, so that's nine to a room or something, and it's it's not right on the people who are being forced in there across from a park as well, and the swimming pool where young kids play and they go swimming and where they're putting them right in the middle of a town is not right so and like at the moment in the last few weeks at night time the town's not really safe to walk down on your own so and we're putting 56 but they could be nice men but we don't know so and we're adding them to people who are here already who it's just not right really yeah. Laura, then if I come back to you, because um, communication seems to be the common theme throughout all of these incidents in Fromoy and in Ross Grey. And it seems it's the very same here. There's been very little communication. The government have promised that that will change. Minister Rodrigo Gorman speaking yesterday said that will change. There's no sign of that changing. Do you think if that did change, it might make a difference? As I'm sorry to say, I don't think so, because I note the patronising tone in which Minister O'Gorman talks about uh, engaging with us. It seems to me it's a very top town. Uh, I will tell them that they are wrong and to stop going on Google because um, I heard him talk the other day about going, it being, it being so great to go around communities and dispel their myths when I, when I meet them at the door. And I'm sorry, Mr. O'Gorman, Minister O'Gorman, you're not going to counter what we see with our own eyes. You know, this isn't about what we read or what we're what, what we're being um, our, in, our brains are being infiltrated by bad players or bad actors. We are living this. We see it, and we're talking to people on the street every day of the week that pass by the tent here. So you're not going to counteract um, the supposed myths around immigration because we are living it, and we know what we see with our own eyes. It's like telling us to deny the nose on our very faces. So the kind of engagement that he's proposing, to me, is not the kind that's going to um, build trust, to be honest, in communities. It really is not. You're in day 60 here today, Ross Gray, in day 7 now today. What advice would you have for the people in Ross Gray? My, my main advice is put your petty grievances aside. You might disagree with this, that or the other person. They might have said or done something to you in the past. We have to unite on this issue. That is the biggest, most important thing. Everyone in this tent, none of everyone that started this out 60 year, years, 60 days ago is still, be like years. Is still here. We are as resolute and determined today as we were at the start of the 60 days. But what does differentiate us from other people in the town who 
have signed the petition, who have offered their support, who are dropping food. We have been prepared to unite on this and put all our other disagreements aside. Not that we, some of us had disagreements, some of us didn't. But I, I noticed that that is the biggest thing that is dividing people, where they say, I, I, I really agree with you, but I wouldn't stand there because he's there or she's there and he did that to me. And that is where we will fail. This is a, a, a national issue. And if we don't... Um, if we don't put down our weapons and, and link arms and unite on it, we are going to lose this, this, unfortunately, I have to call it a battle at this stage. So you're not going anywhere? No, absolutely, we're no. not. No you're, you're all defiant on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Edith. This, this here is Frank Roach, one of our local um, councillors. Oh, Frank, nice to meet you. Sorry, you slipped in there behind me. How are you? Um, where do you stand on this vigil? I know they're, they're describing it as a vigil, so I'll respect that it is a vigil. Yes. What's your reaction to it? Well, 60 days ago, I actually didn't know anybody in this tent. I had seen them around town. I didn't know their names. Now I'm a first name teller to everybody. Now, what really disappoints me is, as a local councillor, when Laura and her team went down to the guard station, the guards are telling him, contact your local councillors. And us, as councillors, we're being advised not to be here. Right. No. That goes against the representation of your people, some might say, then, the people who are voting for you. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And everybody here in this town, I, when I was elected to Cork County Council, I was elected to represent everybody. Whether they voted for me, whether they're wrong or whether they're right, I haven't. I can't describe over who's wrong, who's right. And it's my, it's being elected... Um, being in, in, in being elected for the town, I feel it's my duty to support everybody that's here. Yeah. What do you think then, having seen what happened in Ross Grey, we're seeing a lot more of these protests. We saw what happened with Mayo County Council saying they weren't going to engage with the Department of Integration anymore. Do you see a lot more county councils taking that decision? I certainly do. I certainly do. And I'm very disappointed. If there was a robbery out the road, three or four miles, if you ring a guard, there's no car, the car available, there's no guards available. Yet they could bring in, I don't know how many guards they brought into Ross Grey, 200. It's absolutely ridiculous that they can bring in 200 guards into a situation like that. And if there was an old person robbed out the road this minute, and they rang the guard here, if they, God forbid, if there was an accident, which there was in the Malacock Road lately, that they hadn't the guard, the car available. Yeah. Uh, so that's it from here, Fran. Uh, the, uh, the vigil continues outside Abbeville House, and by the sounds of everyone here, that will continue to be the case, and they remain united with the people in Ross Grey. So from here at Abbeville House in Fromoy, it's back to you in studio. Well, thanks very much indeed uh, for that, uh, Ali. We'd love to hear your uh, reaction to that piece. Uh, 1800 938 007. The text to WhatsApp is only 3311 Now, a lot of people on to us to say that the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys, um, that she needs to apologise after that uh, particular comment. And... Uh, you know, it certainly was referencing the people of Ross Grey, among others, and I would imagine she probably would be including the people in Formoy as well. When she um, rebuked, I suppose, those protesting outside of asylum centres and uh, questioning how they can demonstrate in the middle of the day when everyone else is working. So, again, a lot of people very cross about that and looking for an apology as well. The other issue... Um, is the notion of a community hotel, which uh, we were speaking about uh, on the programme yesterday as some sort of a balance, I suppose, to the fact now that the Racket Hall Hotel will no longer be available for 
events and for social occasions for uh, the people of uh, the town. But it was very interesting to read today that the chairperson of the board of directors for a community-run hotel in Monaghan has said that setting up similar places to ease tensions around asylum seekers is not the answer. And um, the government is said to be considering a proposal, as you know, to, to buy that hotel in, in the middle of uh, Rosgrave to facilitate its reopening as a community model hotel, whatever that is, because I don't fully understand what exactly uh, a community model hotel is. But anyway, the proposal came uh, after the protests and one, one thing and another. Um, this, the Mary Mullen, who is the chairperson of the community hotel in Monaghan, says, we were in a position that when we were setting up, we weren't really setting up in opposition to anybody. She's chairperson of what is now called the Schlieve Bjug uh, Hotel. And she said, this has all got linked to asylum seekers and all of that. It is not the answer to that. And Miss Mullen um, went on to speak about the success of the Schlieve Bjug Hotel and uh, said, we weren't a group of highly educated people. We were a group of highly motivated and uh, committed uh, people. And she made a very interesting point then when she she said, while the government funding will help set up a community-led hotel, the difficult part is running the hotel afterwards. And how does that work? I mean, is there a a volunteer element to it, for example? Now, if that is the case, it's certainly not going to replace the jobs that were lost in Racket Hall. And you'd wonder about the timescale on this. And I was speaking to Michael Smith yesterday. I was trying to... Uh, get from him what he thought the timescale would be and he he really couldn't answer that because the decision to do it is only uh, provisional as well. So again, we'd love your views on that. What do you think? 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And uh, welcome along to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's the free phone number if you want to chat to Emma, today, the text and WhatsApp, 083 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Hi, Franz is one of our listeners. Please don't get too hung up on this hotel being bought and renovated by the government. By the time it happens, we'll all have had the local and general election and those gutless councillors and TDs will be long gone. At that point, says one of our listeners. Um, local politicians are taken from mugs uh, with a promise of another hotel in the town of Ross Grey. It can't be run successfully. And the government knows this. The government will end up with a second hotel in the town, says somebody else. Um, another listener saying, Fran, a community hotel... First, there would be a feasibility study, which would take six months. Then purchase, that'll take another three months. Tender for upgrade and equipment, four to six months. Works on the project, nine to 12 months. And this listener estimates that we'd be talking about 2027. So there you go, where that's concerned. Somebody else uh, telling me to take off the kid gloves, Fran. Yes, it was a dignified protest until an attempt was made to block access to the hotel. That's illegal and just because it happened in Tipperary doesn't mean to say that we all have to say it was right. The job of the Gardaí was to get those people into that building. If that means getting access blockers out of the way, so be it. 
This is one of our listeners, and that's just a taste of what's uh, coming into us uh, today. We're still getting lots of reaction from our listeners, as you can imagine. And uh, Paul joins me now. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today, Paul. You, I, I gather you think the government are just not listening to people. Is that it, Paul? Uh, that is it, plain and simple. I mean, if you consider, there's trouble in, in, in Batrobe, there's trouble in, in, in Ross Blair, there's trouble in Carlow, and, and now there's trouble here in, in, in Ross Cray. And, I mean, think of it all, is, it is almost by decree. We're telling you where we're putting people there, and that's all there is about it. But nothing in place for them. Even though Leo Varadkar, in an open letter uh, on Sunday to the Sunday Indo, said that it's all about communication, and communication with communities is absolutely vital. Well, as they say, there's nothing like communication, and that's nothing like communication. I mean, nobody knew until Thursday, and uh, the, the staff were told on email that 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 were gone. You know, they, it's a complete faux pas, <laughs> mm. put it simply, you know? And it, 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 they are not listening. It's, every day it's in the paper. Every radio station is too many. And obviously, we have to say, well, okay, that there, there is trouble in the world and what have you there. But, I mean, it's my understanding that we, that we have in excess of 100,000 immigrants here at the moment. Mm. That's like 2% of our population, is it? Something like that. And, you know? and, I mean, you know, obviously we're not going to close borders or anything like that. Um, what, where do you see this going, by the way, Paul? Where, where do you see it going? You know, it's about time that, that the government that look, we can't take any more in at the moment. They're perfectly capable of telling France, look, we're not lowering our cooperation tax. It's not good for our country. But we're bringing people into the, the, the sleep roof. That, 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 that's good for the country. Uh, well, we, had, we need to pause. But Say, they're, okay. they're, they're telling us that we're obliged to continue with this. That, you know, I mean, again, Leo Varadkar said this is not something that should or can be stopped. It should be stopped. Well, he's saying because, it, can, mean, it can't be. It can't be stopped. Well, it's simple. They just say no. Because look, there are people coming in without papers, without anything. Mm. Uh, a, 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 a friend of mine was, was saying that when all this happened, they were looking for people to take uh, Ukrainians into their houses. She said, well, look, I'll make the inquiries, and she asked. And she was told she would have to be vetted. Mm. So uh, so this is somebody now, Paul, let's get this straight. This is somebody who wanted to take in yeah. immigrants yeah, into uh, her home. Well, I, she, she lives in a house yeah. by herself, and, right. she, and she was told she'd have to be vetted. She would she have said, to be vetted. She would have to be vetted. Right. You know, so Irish people would have to be vetted so that immigrants coming in would be staying somewhere as a known... They would have a known quantity to come to. But the person taking them in wouldn't have a known quantity. And with the best will in the world, the law of averages wouldn't indicate if you bring in 100,000 people, some of them are not going to be uh, the best. Mm. You know, but you've got to take that on trust. Now, the, the bottom line is simple. I mean... The, 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 the government's always saying, well, when the Irish went abroad, they were looked after. Mm. The Irish went to America, they, they landed in Ellis Island. Yeah. And they were held in quarantine. And they were health checked and all the rest. If they didn't say it, they were put back in the boat and sent back. You know? And, so, and, uh, and does that annoy you when you hear that thrown out every single time there's a discussion on it? Absolutely. 
absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's not it's only 50 years since in England, if you look at uh, lodgings, it said no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. And then, and in Boston and in, and New York, yet no Irish need apply. Yeah, I, I, I've no problem with, with people coming here, but it should be it shouldn't be a case of we'll get off the get off the plane and we look after you. And and what about I mean, and again we hear this all the time as well, the positive contribution of people who come here from overseas to our our health service, to our hospitality service, and all of that. Again, that's put out there all of the time as well. Well, I'm sure there would some degree of positivity but uh, they're not helping our tourist industry because they're, t- they're taking up our hotels and they're not helping our health service because it's already in the mess and it's just adding more load onto it. Right, but what I mean is that nurses and doctors from overseas are vital to us now because we can't fill these uh, posts. We also can't get enough people to work in hospitality for example. Well, um, there's the, the two good reasons for that. It's the same reason in, in both cases. Uh, well, we're not paying enough, is it? We're not paying enough, yeah. In the hospitality industry, as far well as like anyone I, I know who's in the industry, they're paid minimum wage. Hmm. And it, it's like this, as the, uh, the old saying goes, if you'll work for nothing, you will never be idle. So, some of what so, you're saying to me there, can I can I get your opinion on something else that Leo Bradcar yes. has been saying for quite some time as well? Um, he said that in a free and democratic country, we cannot give people a veto on who their neighbour is, whether it's international protection, whether it's traveller accommodation, social accommodation, student, whatever, former prisoners or whatever. He says we cannot veto those who come into our communities. How, how do you feel about that? I think that's a lot of bull. You know, it, 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 I'm sure there's something in our constitution that mentions freedom of association. But the fact of the matter is... Uh, if I live in a house and someone buys a house next door, that's one thing. But if, if the powers that be say, oh, we're, we're putting 300 people in there beside you, mm. out of the blue. But, I mean, it, 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 this, this was said, something similar was said by De Valera in, in the early, the, the, just after the treaty. He said the, the majority have no to do wrong is what he said. So he, he this is just another echo of that. The whole point of democracy is that, you, yes, you can decide. That's the point of it. The majority have the right to do right, if that's what they determine is right. Yeah. If it had been looked at properly in the first place, said, OK, when you come in, we'll have a holding area, we'll check you. If you haven't got papers, you're coming from the Ukraine, we'll check the Ukrainian embassy and see what, what they have. Will they give you temporary papers while it's sorted out? So if your embassy would stand over you, that's grand. Do you have concerns over how people who are expressing their thoughts, just like you're doing to me now, uh, uh, being stigmatised, being insulted, being lampooned, being made fun of? And then you had Heather Humphreys, the minister, coming out and saying that she, she doesn't know how people can demonstrate in the middle of the day when everybody else is working. Well, it, 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 I think that the big word for that is obfuscation. It's Try to sidetrack it. Mm. The people, the people are, are demonstrating in the middle of the day because there's a problem. Like, I mean, e- even the council in Mayo have uh, unanimously voted not to go along with the government. Mm. Yes, they won't. They won't interact with uh, Roderick O'Gorman's department anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, in fairness, I have. I don't have a whole lot of time for him because he said when we're finished taking in refugees from war, then we'll have to take in refugees from climate. 
you know. So no, uh, the, the problem I, I see that this is go, this is going to be going on forever because this will lead to an election sooner rather than later. And the problem then is who in God's name do you vote for? Well, well, let me throw that question back at you then. Yeah. I mean, have you decided who you're going to vote for, for example? To be honest with you, it has been my my practice all along to to observe that one one party has had a tendency to be very flahulic with a few pence and drive the country into debt, and then the other crowd come back in and be, uh, tighten the belt very tight, and then after a couple of years, the electors say, "Hold on a minute, I'm getting tired of being, uh, I'm getting tired of fiscal rectitude." Mm. And we bring the other crowd back in and it starts again. Uh, the problem of it all is, I, I'd be afraid now that Sinn Féin would get in. Why? Uh, because, see, the, part of it to me is they're still trading on part of Griffith Sinn Féin. You know, with, with the, the rosy coloured glasses of, of Freedom for Ireland and all the rest of that. But every time they make a suggestion to do something, they're not coming up with how they're going to finance it. And at the end of the day, it boils down to in order to do something, you have to have the money for it. Yeah, well, I mean, they have provided alternative budgets that are, you know, cost costed by, in some cases, by the various departments as well and uh, to see if they're feasible and stuff. So, you know, so they, they, they would have um, certainly uh, put that out there. Yeah. The other possibility, too, is I don't think Sinn Féin can stand alone. So we would, we would wind up with... I'm sure, uh, a you're, coalition uh, of some kind, yes. I suspect that you're of the same vintage as myself, mm. but you would remember the Rainbow Coalition. I do indeed, very very well, back in the 90s, yeah. Yes, and it didn't work. Mm. Mm. <laughs> because the bottom of it, you can't run a country by committee. Mm. But you can't, run it, you can't run it by decree either. And what will happen is you'll have nine or ten different little cohesive units trying to make up one hole. And what you're going to wind up is someone trying to create, uh, the committee committee trying to create mm. to make it a camel. And are you saying to me that a government led by Sinn Féin, because it might be necessary to, to form a coalition, that maybe we wouldn't see things being very different with them? Is that, is that No, because there are simple facts of the matter. Like, I mean, Mary Herney, when, during the Celtic Tiger, was going to set the health system. But the problem is the health system is a poison chalice. Yeah. The only way to save the health system, to my mind, is to have various steps where the book stops. And be prepared to put the money into it. Mm. Because it's not like saying, okay, for the, for the Department of Transport, we need X amount of buses and X amount of that, and the fuel is costing this. There aren't that many variables. Yeah, you see, I mean, I'm sure most people would say, fine, put the money into it, but there has to be transparency on how that money is spent. And I mean, look at well, how much money has been wasted over yeah. the years, you know? We have, you've spoken before about this, uh, and we know how much I, I love the HSE. Mm, you're very fond but, of them, Paul, I know, yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. yeah. The, the, I think what we need to do is let in some uh, forensic accountants and let, 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 let us find out where the money is going. Yeah. I mean, you can't have a situation where you're, you're the chief of your health system saying that he will not accept uh, uh, what do I say guidance from the government. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if the chief of the HSE is not answerable to the Minister for Health, then why have we got a Minister for Health? 
All right, Paul. Well, really good to talk to you today, and thanks very much indeed for your time, Paul. Thank you, and no look, look after you, yourself. Good Good bye bye to you. Now let's go to uh, to Michael. Good morning to you, Michael. Fran, how are you? And good to talk to you today. I think were you taking issue with Michael Smith and the interview with RTE? Yeah, I, since then I'm, I'm taking exception with an awful lot more as well. Mm. Um, I think the, the misinformation coming from government is absolutely scandalous. And uh, going back to what Maggie McGrath said, and I, I would be no huge fan of his, but he said the government is gaslighting people. It's, it's very hard to disagree with what he's saying. In what uh, way do you think they're gaslighting people, Michael? Well, they're trying to say that you know, these protests are the actions of a few, or the actions that the far right has become a major buzzword, mm-hmm. you know, around. But um, I'd say there's there's very few far right people in the country. They are causing an awful lot of trouble, granted. But the majority of these protests are held by people concerned for their own communities, mm. and they're just fed up of the lies and misinformation coming from the government or lack of information, even. And how do you feel about how they're being portrayed? particularly in national media, um, you know, they're, they're right. insulted, they're stigmatised. There's an absolute scandal. Like, it's very apparent to me which side of the fence the national media is on, and it's, it's not on the public side. You know, even public representative Heather Humphrey's scandal there about how can how can these people be out doing this when they should be at work. That that reminds me of, of Joan Burton's remarks at Jobstown, and I hope um, about... Uh, you know, these people out protesting her being there and that they had very expensive phones and mm. everything else she said. And, and I hope the same fate and fault Heather Humphreys as, as happened to Joan Burton after the, the election after that incident. Yeah, but it, it, very, I, I'm glad you brought up that because that particular protest that had um, Joan Burton isolated in her car for, for a long period of time, I mean, that protest was promoted by the left, you know. And some members of the left are now having a go at people for protesting you know, in centres like like what's happening in Ross Grey. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you, but you know, like there's there's a far right and a far left, and they're they're as bad as each other, really. Yeah. Um, I I think we have a lot of far left in government. The, the Green Party, like they're they're pandering to the the absolute requirement for power of the other two parties. We have twelve green seats in government. Um, the hot seat at the minute is Roger Gorman's one, but of those 12 seats, seven of those people are ministers and they're a very small partner mm. in the coalition. And look at the clout they've been given and they are absolutely not towing any of the lines they've been given to tow. Yeah, but people who, you know, would go along with climate change and all, all of that would applaud them for being able to to do what it is that they're, they're, they're doing, uh, coming from, as you say, from a small base and, and having such influence on the current government. But what have they done is the question I would ask. Would ask. Mm. So Roger Gagarman is, is he's running a sinking ship as far as I can see. It's it up the country where Gary and public representatives said we've had no consultation. He's turned around and he's as much as calling them liars by saying he has been notified, but it's the same story in every town this happens and it's going to continue happening in. What, what, what about the Gardaí? Um, how do you feel about what, what happened with the the policing of the arrival of the asylum seekers into Ross Grey? Um, well, no one wants to see that and I, I just want to get it in there that as someone from Ross Grey myself, I, I think 99.9% of people in Ross Grey have no problem with refugees. They are not racist. They're 
there would have been no issue with women and children. I think subsequent actions where there was ch- ties dropped off the Racket Hall Hotel would, would say enough about the character of people in mm. Ross Gray, despite the damage that the likes of Michael Smith has said has happened. But as far as the guards, they should be there to, to keep peace. Um, I think they only agitated the situation. Why couldn't local guards come, remove the far-right element from these protests and let the locals protest peacefully? And the, 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 the other thing, and I made reference uh, to this when I was speaking to to um, Michael Lowry earlier on as well, uh, the comments that Councillor Smith um, put out there on, I think it was the Clare Burns show yesterday, you know, that a lot of work on the ground has been lost in Ross Grey and uh, we must now try to rebuild the image and the character of the people of Ross Grey as well. How, how do you feel about those comments as a Ross Grey person? Do you need your character rebuilt? Well, if those people making those comments are the ones judging my character, I don't think I have much to worry about. Um, and, and the notion that the image uh, or the images that we witnessed uh, over the last while, that they will be, you know, they could affect investment into the town. Um, how, how, how do you feel about that? Uh, the image of the town and... I, I don't think it's affecting Ross Gray's image no more than it's affecting Ballon Robes for my anywhere else this is going on because it's going on everywhere across the country because the government are telling us one thing but people are they're they're believing what they see and they don't see anything good. You know, they see they see these people being moved in and I say the majority of Irish people would only love to help people and bring them in and do our best for them. That's in our nature. But we also see our own people leaving the country in droves because they have no future. I mean, Roger Gorman came out and, and said that private housing is going to be the solution to uh, the refugee crisis when they've absolutely and utterly failed in housing in the 20 years that Fine Gael have been in power since. And uh, that's his solution. That's, that's his incompetence as a politician to think he can just pass the buck on to another department which is already struggling and failing. Never mind the extra demands that are going to be put on the, the health service. Well, I saw Pascal Donoghue on... Twitter last night, or X as it's known now, congratulating his own party on the houses that they're building this year and uh, looking to the future on how many they're going to build in the coming years as well. So he's he's happy enough with, with how all of that is going. Well, to be fair, not many other people have congratulated him, would they? Do you support a political party, can I ask you, Michael, or you can tell me to mind my own business if you want? Um... I would not say I'm a supporter of a political party, but I would like to see Sinn Féin given the chance to put their money where their mouth is because um, we've had two political parties in power for the last 100 years and they've just led us to this sad, sorry state we're in now where people see no future. And one thing I would like to add, Brand, Leo Baraka came out and he said um, people don't have the right to veto who moves into their community. Right, yeah. If I wanted to buy a patch of land and build a house in Ard Crony, whether I have the money to do it or not, I will not be given planning permission. I would be vetoed by the county council or, or the, on board Planala to build a house to live in wherever I want. So you're saying to me there is an element of veto anyway? There is. They, they've given it to the, to the planning authority to mm. veto who moves into a community because Someone couldn't build... I, I couldn't build a house in Rossbury. I had to buy a house. Hmm. So that's the only option people have. So And, and Leo Varadkar, like him and his party, they're trying to censor social media, they're trying to censor free speech, but they're saying peaceful protests are, are anti-freedom and anti-democratic. Like hmm. they're, they're taking away the freedom of the people by 
and, and to use Matty McGrath's phrase as well, by gaslighting, by saying that this is the actions of a few, when really I think it's, it's the voice of people who've had enough of them. What about the people who've been very critical about Matty McGrath and some of what he's been saying and calling it conspiracy theories and calling Matty a servant of the, the far right and all that? How, how do you feel about that? Um, again, I, I wouldn't be a huge fan of Matty McGrath. He, he's, been, he's been very animated in his opinions and, and things like this, but I do think he is representing the people. Um, there's other independent TDs there who, who are saying they're representing the people, but they'll go on around and support the government at every turn and make their excuses afterwards. Are you talking about Michael Lowry? I am, yeah. Hmm. He's, he's a long-time supporter of the people that are in power, and whatever language Matty McGrath used, we should have a debate. Matty McGrath was called far right for saying we should have a debate, but then uh, Helen McEntee turns around and she says we have a debate, but it's okay for one to say it and not the other, and that's that's where I think his gaslighting comments are coming from. Have you? I'm to, are we about the same vintage? Do you think uh, me and you, Michael? Um, I wouldn't know a fringy jazz fan. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering. Have you ever seen? Do you know where we are now? For example, have you ever seen the likes of this before in this country? Do you think are we in a, a um, place that's unfortunate to say the least? We are. Yeah, I remember. I was actually. And I'll tell you my vintage now, but I was serving my time as an apprentice electrician back in 2005, I think 2009 I qualified in. Mm. But we were all young people then, we've seen all this Celtic Tiger and this wealth and we were all chasing the dream. But then everything crashed and it was all taken away. Suddenly, you know, we were watching people building great houses and living great lives. And even with a better job now, it, it can't be done. Mm. They've, they've just brought the country to rack and ruin. And there's been scandal after scandal between housing, banks, bailouts, and now immigration. It's costing the country 1.8 million every day, I read, to keep this immigration thing going. And, and we, we can't actually care and for And still the government, and I know particularly Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath would, would say to you, well, look, you know, financially we're in a very, very good place. Indeed, we've had some very generous budgets. We've had some very generous interventions. Uh, financially, where uh, fuel is concerned and where, where energy is concerned and all of that. Does any of that sort of hold anything for you? No, I, absolutely not, because, again, I'll go back to my point earlier. People believe what they see, not what they're hearing. And they're seeing the grocery bill, they're seeing the energy bill, they're seeing the cost of running a car, sending a child to college, paying for rent, trying to pay a mortgage with the interest rate hikes we've had. They're seeing all this and we're being told it's all fine. So I'd let people make up their own mind. I, I don't think many people would agree with their, their opinions that everything's all grand and rosy. Maybe it is in Dublin where people have alternatives, but down here in Tipperary, we don't have many. Michael, lovely to talk to you today and thanks for making time for me, Michael. Thank you. Good morning to you. Anytime, Sam. Good Bye. morning to you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Michael with his uh, views there. 83 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Brendan says, come back, Bertie Ahern, Garage Fitzgerald and Charlie Hawhey, all is forgiven. Steady now, Brendan. Steady. Um, listen, I, I find this very sad, uh, this text. It says, Hi, friend, I'm a person of colour and Tipperary is my hometown. 
I would be afraid to walk the streets of Ross Grey at the present moment with the racist behaviour of the locals. Very sad. I wonder, would that, would that person talk to me, Emma? Because I'd, I'd love to tease that out um, with with uh, that person, hopefully. Um, somebody else saying, um, Hi, Fran, I'm taking issue with uh, Heather Humphreys. How dare she say that people are protesting around the dole? Well, no, she didn't exactly say, say, say that. Uh, she was questioning how... Uh, people protesting can demonstrate in the middle of the day when everybody else is working. So, yeah, OK, well, you could you could probably uh, read into it in that way if you want. Um, anyway, this person goes on to say, I don't know about all the all the people, but most of the people in Ross Grey at Rocket Hall come before and after work or are retired, respectable people. Uh, the staunch background she comes from, rule with a rod of iron, those days are gone. Thank God, says one of our listeners. Now, Teresa joins me now. Good morning to you, Teresa. Oh, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you today. I think you're taking issue, Teresa, with uh, the TDs and councillors, are you? Oh, God, Fran. You could seriously write a book at this stage. Yeah. Why why in particular, Teresa? Well, uh, 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 Mr. Smith, I didn't agree with what he had to say at all. That's when he 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 spoke to me yesterday, was it? Yeah, he he avoided all the issues. He went went around in circles. I I thought he was absolutely appalling. Hmm. And And was was there something in particular that he was saying that you disagreed with? You close one hotel, friend, and you try to open another one. Hmm. Seriously. Yeah. It makes no sense. And and what do you think about the possibility of that notion of a community hotel working, for example? Well, if I could understand what a community hotel is like, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, my, the mind boggles, to be honest with you. Yeah, I've been trying to tease that out, and I asked Michael Smith about it yesterday as well, and... Uh, we're none the wiser at this point, I think. Exactly. He, I don't think the man knows himself, to be quite honest. Well, maybe, maybe he does. I mean, it's a... Yeah, it, it, it's happened in, in in Monaghan, but the chairperson of that hotel in Monaghan is coming out to say, you know, she's not sure that this is the proper thing to do by way of doing anything towards uh, balancing what's, what's happening with, with immigration and the like. So. Yeah, I think they're, done, they're trying to reflect from the real issue that's going on at the Racket Hall Hotel, to be quite honest with you. What do you see as the real issue there? Well, I mean, the way they went about it, they shouldn't have closed that hotel. That's the only hotel in Ross Grey. They shouldn't have closed it, friend. Mm. And it was so wrong of the government to do so. Do you know, at the last minute, I mean, I, 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 I suspect, maybe I'm wrong, but I think this was a done deal long before last week. Well, there would have to be negotiation and, uh, you know, business done beforehand and then people are let know. Um, What if the government, though, I mean, if if government representatives were talking to you today, they would say, yeah, that's all fine, very well, but we're in uncharted waters where we have obligations to take in people. These are emergency situations and we have to take whatever uh, accommodation is offered to us. What would you say to that, Teresa? Oh, I don't buy into any of that at all, to be honest. It's just a cop-out, as far as I'm concerned. Just a cop-out, friend, to be honest with you. This could have all been avoided if they had come and met the people of Ross Grey. But yeah. they didn't, did they? Well, well Leo Vradkar is saying that himself, that this is all about communication. And, uh... Well, where is the communication, friend? There's no communication, is there? Yeah. 
and they're making out Ross great to be racist. Then I, I, that is absolutely appalling, appalling. Yeah. So some of the the media coverage of this is really that's painting. Shocking. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, I have friends in Ross Grey, and I remember when Grant's hotel was at the Patchy Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And it was a very uh, well-run hotel yeah. by the man himself, Jerry Horton. Yeah, who great, still with great, great gigs there and great, great, great food, I remember, yeah. I mean, all my friends worked for um, Jerry Horton throughout the years mm. and you couldn't be a nicer man. He's mm. still with us, thank yeah, God. Yeah, decent but, man, uh, for sure, yeah. This hotel has been closed for, I'd say, the best part of 11 years, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it, in or around that, anyway, yeah. And and, and do you, do you see to... this as being opened in the near future? As not, some... at, not at all, friend. It's going to take a lot of hard work. Right. And why now? Why couldn't they have done something in the early days when it closed first? Yeah. Well, I suppose this, this is being done now in response to what's happening with the other hotel. Yeah, and it, That's what I mean. It took a demonstration to, to, to bring this forward. Yeah. So it's, it's just a cop-out, really, isn't it? And can, again, you don't have to tell me this, Theresa, but I mean, you know, local elections coming up, European elections, the possibility of a general election, if not this year, certainly next year. Um, have you made up your mind on who you will vote for to represent you now? Oh, my God, Glenn, I think uh, you may forget about the voting in the, because I wouldn't be interested in voting for any of them because they don't, they're not representing our, our country at all. Any of them. And and the people in your circle of friends that you'd be chatting to, for instance, Teresa, how do, do they feel the same way that you feel, or similar to how? Yeah, yeah. and when you think of a friend, there's a lot of Irish people without housing that are living on the streets, and all of a sudden the government have lots of money to spend. What about the the Irish people? What are they supposed to do? Mm. And and but with that statement, for example, Teresa, does it bother you? That some people might say, ah, oh, Theresa is, is far right there, she's she's racist, she's... Uh, I welcome anyone. But, I mean, we all know that Roscoe is it's a small town, it's overstretched. They haven't got the resources. Hmm. They should have put those resources in years back. Never mind waiting until now. They had the opportunity to put those resources in, but they didn't do it. Now they seem to have a lot of money to spend, don't they? And and so you you're discounting that notion of a, a hotel in the town as some sort of community. Well, I, 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 I just I'm just I just I'm 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 gobsmacked by the the, the, the behaviour. I really am. I'm mm. just lost for words. To be quite honest with your friend. And can I ask you about the other talking point? Finally, if I could as well, which is what Leo Varadkar was saying that you know in a democratic country, a free and democratic country, that we can't give people a veto on who their neighbours are, um, whether it's international protection or travelling community or people suffering addiction or anything else, in fact. I think we should know who's coming in and who's not. Do you know? We should know who our neighbours are. Hmm. That's how I see it anyway. Right, but the Taoiseach of the country, the leader of this country, is saying that you don't have that right. Oh, well, I don't know. I think we have no rights at all. The Irish have no rights anymore, to be quite honest with you. All right, Teresa. Thank it's you. For very sad, it's thank very you. sad, very sad to, uh, to listen to all. I've been listening to all the interviews. 
And then uh, just before you go, friend, mm. um, I'd just like to comment on, I think it was terrible what they said about uh, Matthew McGrath. He's not racist. I wouldn't imagine Matthew McGrath is racist. Mm. And that's a, that's, he's, that's he's branded as far right and oh, he's, he's branded as being putting conspiracy theories out there and all of that kind oh, of that's thing. Wrong. That's completely right. That's bang out of order. They're, they're stupid to an all time low, to be honest, certainly. Really. Do, you, do you think so? Oh, I think so. I most certainly think so, friend. You know, but I, I applaud the people of Ross Gray to stand up and be counted. I really do, and I hope they continue to do so. All right, Teresa, thanks for your time today and look after yourself and thank you. I will too, friend. Thanks thank a million. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. 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 We'll take a break. Back with more. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's TIP Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Irish Pharmacy Union are teaming up with RTE's Operation Transformation to support National Blood Pressure Day 2024 in a partnership that will see uh, 23 participating pharmacies in Tipperary offering once-off free blood pressure checks today. Now, regular contributor to our show was pharmacist from uh, Feather, Jimmy O'Sullivan. And Jimmy is with me in a studio and he has a whole load of gear with him as well. <laughs> Good morning to you, Jimmy. How are you? Good morning, Fran. Yeah, nice to be in studio with you. Well, you're, you're extremely welcome indeed. Tell me about this uh, today. It's an interesting initiative, isn't it? Yeah, it's been done in cooperation with Operation Transformation. So I suppose I suppose a lot of people out there maybe after Christmas thinking about getting fit, maybe, you know, joining gyms or whatever. And, you know, it's probably a good time rather than digging straight into doing these strenuous exercises, maybe to have your blood pressure checked before you do. And um you know, anyone that is starting out on maybe a fitness journey or maybe a weight loss journey, they could consider it today. It's a good day. It's National Blood Pressure Day and they can go into their local pharmacy and just say, do you mind just checking the blood pressure? It's, it's a, a great idea indeed. Now, you don't need to make an appointment, you're telling me, Jimmy? No, just today, just yourself there. pop in, yeah. yeah. Now, look, I suppose it depends on the pharmacy as well. But, um, like, if if pharmacy can't see you straight away they'll say look come back in 10 minutes or whatever when because yeah. you know it, it is probably today is going to be a little bit busier than normal the other thing I would be kind of saying so if you're if, if there's a patient there maybe that's a, that's a they're in the habit of getting their blood pressure taking maybe by the doctor mm. or on or on or on, or on are, are on medication, say, mm. for blood pressure. Mm. Maybe today wouldn't be the day I'd be saying to, for you to come in. Okay. So maybe they could come in maybe next week. We're probably trying to focus today on just maybe people that wouldn't be in the habit of having their blood pressure checked. I still think, Jimmy, there's a bit of confusion about blood pressure or hypertension or, or whatever and what can result from it. Would you just outline that for Yeah, us? so I suppose, look, blood pressure is... To explain, maybe, blood pressure is the pressure that it takes for the heart to pump the blood from the last chamber into the artery. So that pumping sensation is is what we're trying to measure. Um, so if your heart is, has to work harder than normal, that means putting more pressure, more force into getting that blood out of the heart. That means then that the heart is under pressure all the time. Now, we call blood pressure or high blood pressure or hypertension the silent disease because you do not know if you have high blood pressure. There needn't be symptoms. You're probably feeling no different with high blood pressure than not. Um, So 
like high blood pressure, then the heart only has a limited lifespan. Mm. And if that is working hard over a long period, then it's obviously not going to last the full length of your life or as it should be. So it Mm. definitely somebody who is going with undetected blood pressure and I'm talking about high blood pressure now. Mm. yes of course so somebody could come in and say oh my blood pressure is up a bit and that's okay that's not going to but somebody with very high blood pressure um, they will find that maybe their life expectancy is reduced because wow. of it Okay. also it would be leading into things like stroke um, into heart disease into heart attack I, I know I'm, being, I'm p- painting a very black picture but this is in severe situations and also then because the kidneys and the, um, the heart is linked then it can lead to mm. kidney disease I was very interested to, to see dementia in there as well well again you're talking about pressure and blood you know, and and just that pumping going to the yes. to the brain. So we're not sure exactly the link to it, but um, there there definitely is a correlation. And also the other thing, which mightn't <laughs> seem strange, is poor sleeping habits. Um, that can lead to high blood pressure and uh, sleep apnea, which we know is where you know somebody stops breathing in the middle of the night for a couple of seconds and they'll re- restart yes. again. So that mm. that's another. So there's lots of kind of things out there that we need to be conscious of. But look, I don't want to get people. No, too no. worried. But, but still, at the same time, informed. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. uh, in fact, this morning now we, I, I was doing, um, you know, the free blood pressure checks on people. So everyone that came in, and I suppose you know my, my voice. This stage, I'm a little bit authoritative. I said, "Come here, you come here. <laughs> I'm doing your blood pressure." Yeah. So I think I did seven between nine and ten o'clock, and. I had two people that I had to refer to the doctor. Wow. So, and I said to one girl, do you mind if I mention? So we should be looking at maybe 120 of, or 130 of the, uh, the systolic blood pressure. The second number, the lower number, probably at 80. And that lady was 200 over 105. So I said, look, you need to go. And she had no symptoms. She, did, she, she wasn't aware she of She was laughing issue. coming in. She was saying, there's nothing wrong with me, Jimmy. There's nothing wrong with me. Go and do it if you want to do it, if it keeps you happy. Like she thought she was doing it for me. But I said, okay, there you, you right. need to go. Okay, well, we volunteered our Emma uh, to, to have the... Yeah, I have a bit of a problem with that, Fran, because when I was coming in, I thought I was doing you. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening here? I, I, Is somebody chickening out, well, Emma? I, 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 got, Emma, I got, got no sleep last night, so I can only imagine what mine would be today. So that's why we I volunteered know, no, no, our no, Emma. Yeah, yeah, Look, I, like, like, if you were... I'll take you, for you, for instance, Fran, you're working, so it's a busy time, you have calls coming in, you have guests coming on. So, like, your blood pressure is going to naturally be yeah. up at this time yeah. of the day, and it probably wouldn't be the best time of the day to take your blood pressure. Mm. So, I'll, I'll allow you that. Well, thank but, you, even though Emma has to deal with all the calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, the She's probably, all the background bits. <laughs> so Emma's probably under. So, look, as I'm, right. as I'm talking to you here, I'm just going to uh, plug Emma into my blood pressure. Very so, good. it's literally just a simple yeah. cough on Emma's upper arm there. Yeah. Just get it nice and... Are you comfortable with that? Yeah. Okay. It's just the Velcro holding it in place. And there's a little monitor here that I'm just going to press the button and it literally is going to inflate that cuff now. So I'm going to press this. So the cuff will inflate. Um, Emma will just feel a slight little pressure on that. It's like a very worried looking. Yeah. yeah. I don't um, want to see. Like if it is up, I said to Emma, what? <laughs> like am I calling out the number on that? <laughs> or am I calling an ambulance? But uh, she said, no, we'll call out the number just to say. Very good. So what we measure is the systolic and the diastolic. So the systolic is the top, what we call the top line. So that's the force that the heart will push out the blood. Mm. The diastolic then is, because that chamber is empty, it has to refill with blood. So we measure that as our second pressure. 
Now, often that second pressure is a really good indicator because if you are under stress or, you know, if you're really something really bothers, mm. something, things are happening, uh, it may, your top number went up, but the second number is always a good number because that will never go up if you're stressed or, and there's another thing called white coat syndrome. Yes, so somebody course, sees yeah. this machine coming. They're, uh-huh. Now, Emma, it's 137 over 74, so that's perfect. Okay. And you have a pulse of 83, and that should be 80. So the top number, we'd be looking at 130, but it's 137. So I'm very happy with that because Emma would have been busy all morning. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that would have been um, up a little bit. The 74 is the diastolic one, so that should be 80. So that's the one that working really hard, pushing yourself, that's absolutely perfect. Okay. So we're very happy with Good. that. And your pulse should be 80, and it's 83. So. Okay. No, Fran, are you ready? <laughs> Come on now, Fran. No, I, t- I don't think I don't so. think we have time. I, 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 I frightened everybody else. Are you going to do another test here? I, well? I will if I have a, yeah. if I have a moment. So yeah, we do. Yeah. While we're like in the pharmacy today, I will offer people that I'll do a blood sugar test. So because it's simple, right. pinprick on the finger. Uh, this little, is the diabetes. Absolutely, test, yeah. Okay. So we have that set up. So I'm just getting Emma's finger and just going to pull the side there. She's still looking extremely worried looking even though we... No, she jumped there for a little bit. (laughs) But it didn't hurt that. No, 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 no. No. It's only a little click, yeah. So there's a tiny little drop coming on Emma's thumb there now. So I'm going to just put the... the, Stick in there. Oh, Jane, the blood is very hard to get out of it. Oh, my God. I'd say she doesn't Sorry, like giving Jimmy. too much away, does she? Yeah, that's for certain. Yeah, yeah. That's for certain. We're all right. At least it's red anyway. So that's <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> well, I'd be worried if it was another colour. <laughs> so I have my blood pressure, my blood glucose now, what, what is this going to tell us now, Jimmy? So I basically I'm just going to drop the little drop of blood into that chamber there. Okay. So the machine will read then. We'll just get that going and we'll tell you now what the... So it literally... Yeah, you can relax now. All done. For now. So basically, all, what this will do is will tell us your current blood sugar level. So that should be around seven. So Emma's this morning is five point eight. So that's very normal. Okay. So if that was above seven, like you, it's possible. Like I've I've done blood I've done blood sugar monitor checks, and we're up to twenty, twenty four, twenty five, and that's you know off the scale. So basically, what what it is is so we eat our breakfast in the morning, say, and our body then. There's carbohydrates in the body, which is the natural sugars, and the body then has to break that down, and it's how quickly it breaks it down. So, if you're if the level is up, say at this time, it means you haven't broken down the sugars, and then you could be possibly mm. talking it going into um, and, diabetes. And, and are you running that test today for I, people? Do you know, it's well? so easy to do for us. We just give it as an extra thing, okay. but really, we're focusing on blood pressure blood today. Blood pressure today, All and right. maybe look if anyone is feels that they should. Um, they, look, if you have a husband at home, or if you have, if you're sitting you now here and you have it, you're say you're driving in a truck and you haven't been to the doctor for years, today is the day. Just oh. decide today that you're going to do it. Pop right. into your local pharmacy. Just say, lads, will you do my blood pressure today? And look, they won't. No, there's no judgment. If somebody says, look, I'm not going to the doctor. I just don't. Mm. Look, mm. that's your choice. We won't be putting any pressure. But at least you'll have the the evidence, yeah, the or choice, you'll have the choice going to, away to, with to, you, to yeah. do so. Indeed. Yeah. So yeah. you you you're open yourself to do this right throughout the day, are uh, you? Yeah, indeed? I have the tracksuit on now. So <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm ready for action. And if you want to find out uh, the other pharmacies uh, getting involved as well, it's on the Operation Transformation uh, website. I think. 
think, Jimmy, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Okay. And we'll do you the next day. You can start that. your fitness. In the meantime, our Emma is really healthy, Emma, so is, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah. You can have the rest of the day off now. Thanks, Jimmy. Look after Thanks, yourself. Jimmy. Thank you. News and information is coming in. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, Joe is in Newtown and Joe says, Fran, wait until the corporation tax uh, runs out, which will happen, and uh, no more increases to pensions, social welfare, education, health. Then the real trouble will start if we don't get a handle on immigration, says uh, uh, Joe. Uh, Patrick, on again, taking issue with um, what Michael Lowry said uh, regarding Matty McGrath. Uh, I thought, I thought you, you, you told me, Patrick, you were turning off. Well, an hour ago you said you were turning off, so you're you're back on again, are you? Okay, uh, thank you for that. Oh eight three three double one double three double one. The email is tip today at tipfm dot com, and it's time for our health slot. And glad to be joined in the studio, as usual on a Thursday, by Muriel Cuddy, who is CEO of Marito eighty twenty, even the clinic in Clonmel. Good morning to you. How morning, are you, friend. Muriel? I'm great. What are you making of what's going on in Ross Gray and what's going on in the world and all of that? Are you? I just, like I was saying a few minutes ago, I think it's awful. I had to come from the clinic down to here this morning and come into work this morning. It's so cold out. It's like minus four, minus six coming in the car this morning. And I just think this is January. We're starting the new year and you're supposed to be like full of enthusiasm and whatever. And all this fighting and like anxiety and stress and like all the people that are stressed on and on both sides like as in the people that are standing out protesting mm. have a million things to do mm. you know the the poor ukrainians that are gone in there and that have to pass the protest and have their kids and have come from wherever i just think it's absolutely awful mm. and i think a bit of communication beforehand might have appeased a lot of this or might have sorted a lot of this but i think it's no way to start the new year and i think for ireland i, I it's not you can't say it's a holy disgrace. It's just awful mm. that there can't be intermediaries or politicians or someone that can actually step in and sort it out properly. Like, mm. communication is the basis of everything, isn't it? Well, and it I, is. And, you know, you often speak to us, in fact, where our health is concerned about communication. Yeah, about, yeah. You know? Well, I know, like, the people that are standing outside up there, the racket hall has been there for how many years? Like, I've been there mm. numerous yeah, times. I've been too. at weddings, yeah. like, you know, my in-laws are leash, like, they're literally eight miles, whatever. I know that they're probably all talking about it non-stop now. The farmers that they go in, in there for mm. their dinner, the amount of people that have come through there for different family functions throughout the years, that's all forgotten when, some, when a place closes its doors. Mm. The next generations can't do things like that. And it just seems to be a flick of a switch that we can make decisions now in relation to you know mm. what happens like the Ukrainians I feel so so sorry for like mm. and I say to the kids the whole time they're coming with a bag 
all the way from a war-torn country. They have nothing. They have to go somewhere. They can't go into a tent. But why can't we do it properly? Mm. Like, there has to be youth hostels and there's, like, plenty of buildings that are run down or whatever. Is there somewhere else that we could do it? Or could the communication be a bit better that you talk to people and say, listen, we'll do it for a year, then you'll have your hotel back again? There has to be something better, you know? So it's communication as as, as far as you're concerned. You're going to talk to us today about uh, mobility, for example, and exercise and all of that. You see, this is the time of the year where couch potatoes like me make all sorts of rash uh, statements about what we're going to do with ourselves and we're going to go running and we're going to go cycling and we're going to go to the gym and stuff. It rarely works. It doesn't. And you know, um, and it's couch potatoes is one thing, but you know if you're sitting, so like you're sitting in the car if you're going to a gig and you're sitting here when you're in the studio and then yep. you go home you're sitting. Like the, the studies that are out like and it's the World Health Organisation like are telling us, you know, like you can sit for two and a half hours and you're fine. But from two and a half hours to four, just under four and a half, five hours, your risk of clot increases by 70%. You know, 70%. This goes up by 40% for each additional two hours that you're sitting. So like for two and a half times higher among those, and two and a half times higher among those that sat for more, more than five hours a day. So like if you're sitting for more than five hours a day, your chances or your risk of getting a clot increases like massively, you know, and like Jimmy was in before me doing the blood pressure piece or whatever. Mm. Like you don't have to do massive things. You know, I can't understand, Van, why this piece isn't done in schools. Like we're doing certain things in schools and we're talking about like the younger generation and we've done the blood pressures like for maybe yeah. over 200 people at a time. And I keep saying 60 to 70 percent of people's blood pressure is elevated um, and then you have the hypertension and, and the crisis piece or whatever. But why isn't it done in schools that we're able to read things like this? The very basics. Mm. So we're showing and, how to and read and write. Them. Yeah. Understand your health. So, yeah. like, even in biology and in the different sciences or whatever, we're not doing the very very basics of understanding and our health. What would the result of that be if there well, was like more even education? For, even for somebody in secondary school, say in TY or if it was done in that and yes. they were put into pharmacies what or they were put idea. into whatever yeah. and they were made learn this, they'll bring it home and they'll use it at home. So, like, they'll have the monitor or whatever and they'll be using it on their mother and father and whatever and, and they will all learn. Like, you know how fast kids learn. So they'll know, like, your, your blood pressure is supposed to read the norm is 120 over 80. Everybody has a different norm. So you'll get, get, get used to that. You'll have a father that has never seen a blood pressure monitor mm. that once it's done, once it's going to stick it on behind everybody else's back and mm. check it again if he's worried or whatever. You're bringing it into the family. And, like, even the blood sugars... That, that was so simple, what Jimmy mm. done to test yeah, the blood sugars. A few, few seconds. A few yeah. seconds. And like, you're talking about the blood pressure, yes, it might be the older, like coming from whatever, 40 plus. Blood sugars are affecting everybody nowadays. Mm. You know, and like, I've done it at home. I've done it in Rocco, he's 13 or 14. Wanted his leukocyte sport, I said that before. Before, we took the blood sugars beforehand. They were at five or something like that. Um, evening time. Left him drink his bottle of leukocyte. Took his blood sugars again after 10 or 15 minutes and they were gone to 14. Now, I was just educating him on mm. what was inside in the bottle because as far as he was concerned, I was just being a mother and I was just yes. on his case or whatever. So did that make a difference then in how he thought about it? He nearly it? died. Yeah, okay. He literally nearly died. And he was like, oh my God, am I going to be diabetic? Am I going to have, you know, whatever? And that went on even for six months in his head. So you can imagine something... Now, he was only 10 or 11 at the time. You can imagine something as simple as that being done in schools or shown, mm. shown kids how and to how do it. And how effective How effective, yeah. Now, they wouldn't let the younger ones do it. And even with the older ones, because of the blood and because of all of that yeah, piece, yeah, of course, yeah. they, they'd have to be so careful. But, like, sudden stopping and bringing somebody in, again, in TY or whatever, before they actually leave school, to know that if they're very stressed and they're very anxious, there's lots of things going on within the body that you can actually do to change. You know, and that all feeds into the lifestyle side. And Jimmy was telling us that out of 10 people that he tested for blood pressure this morning, two 
were, were sent to the GP. Yeah, and that was only in is one that, hour. Is that your experience? Oh, totally. Like, that was only in an hour. Like, yeah. we get, if we go into companies to do the screen, like, we're getting 60 to 70% of people with elevated blood pressure. Like, that's so many people. You know, that's just... And, like, everything else might be okay. And no symptoms. No symptoms. Now, some do. When you talk to some, yes, they do feel unwell. Yes, there are different signs. And, yes, you know, they just they might have, like, a headache. And there's different things with them. With others, like Jimmy this morning, there might be absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. And, like, 200 is really, really high. You know, that's scary. So these are simple things. And we'd always say to people when we're in companies, because we can't kind of get back to them again straight away, Mm. we'd always say to them, go and even buy a blood pressure monitor. Like, if you can't get into a pharmacy, buy it. Educate yourself on it and take it. Like, take your own blood pressure. Be be proactive. And, Muriel, where the mobility is concerned, then, okay, I come in here at nine. I'm generally sitting in the same place till 12 if I get into the car it could be three hours in the car going here and there what should we do it's it's very simple right um if I was to say to you even simple things Fran right mm. if I got you to stand up from your desk will you stand up from right your now. desk yes yeah. I will yeah yeah I can barely stand up. Anyway, yes. Could you touch your toes as you are? Ah, uh, no, Muriel. No, but could you touch your toes? That's just straight no. away. Even, do don't even to don't even put your feet together. Okay. Like even keep them apart a little. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> now, just before you sit down, right? Okay. Could you actually bend down and come back up again? Like, like, could you just like this, like that you could just literally bend down and come back up again without holding on to anything? Yes. I heard all the cracks. I know, I know. It's not terrible. <laughs> but these are simple, like, even to get up and down from, like, where, you, where you're sitting, even on yes. the couch. Like, if you just get Why up Why can't I touch my toes? <laughs> Your hamstrings are too tight. Your body is literally... And you know why? Why? Like, that's when you're sitting. Um, yes. Even lads and girls that play Ow. sport, if, if they're... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, lads, he's I finished. Poor Fran is finished. Yes, I don't know, yeah, I'm I going so. to have to get him on to this, like, intensive <laughs> programme of some sort. But um, hamstring injuries, even, like, say yes. if you're in this seated position all day and you're at work and you play a lot of sport in that, yeah, hamstring injuries are a lot more prevalent then because you're in the... Your, 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 your muscles are, your, are tightening instead mm. of lengthening. You have to stretch. So even when you were in that seated position, you got out of the car after driving all night, you came in here and you sat down in mm. here. You didn't stretch in any which way, did you? Like even to it's do lucky, s- it's lucky I don't have secrets back here. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Fran. <laughs> but um you're a good role model, yeah, as in or a good guinea pig. Yes. That's that's probably so a better what, way. I yeah. should I should get up. It, just something during as simple. News or during ad breaks totally, or, it's yeah. just something as simple as stretching. Like if you put your hands up over your head, like we don't even do things like that anymore. Like kids do it automatically. Yeah. But simple stuff for us, like just to be doing things like that, that you're actually up and down, you're moving around, you bend down to touch your toes, you go into a squat position, you kind of lunge up and down. Just simple things like the mobility positions, like are literally even to see can you genuflect. You know, mm. you go into a church and you're going to mass or whatever, and you're genuflecting in front of, in front of yes. the altar and that. Yeah. Like you'll see, as people get older, younger people go up and they can genuflect, and then as we get older, we're like, oh, like <laughs> hands on the leg to try and get back up, or you're looking around to see is there a table that you can put your yes. hand on or whatever. Yeah. It shouldn't be like that. So like you don't it, have even to. Even as you age, even it shouldn't as be you like age, that, you can keep the mobility piece. Yeah. Do you see farmers like they can jump gates? Do you know what I mean? They yeah. can get out over ditches. Well, they've been doing it all the time. They've been do- yes, yeah. but that's the mobility piece. Yeah. You know, like they jump up in the back of tractors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like they've been doing it all the time. We allow ourselves. Like it's like even you know, like the cleaning and hoovering and stuff like that. Like as you get older, like you want the hoover length, the pipe as long as it can go, so you don't have to bend over. You know, so yes. you're like you're hoovering away with one hand instead of hoovering with two hands. Do you know if you hoover properly for an hour, you burn about 175 calories? Like that's about a 20 minute walk. 
Like if you clean the house properly, vigorously, like you yeah. burn about 400 calories. You know, the same with cleaning your windows. Like, you know, years ago, again, the cleaning the windows in the springtime, you'd have to do it every six weeks or every eight weeks. And the minute the sun is shining, the windows need to be cleaned. We're putting everything on the long finger a little bit more or we're trying to get people to do things for us. Like the car wash on Saturday. Now, I was as much at fault as everybody else, but there was seven cars like or eight in every single car wash in the place that would never have happened before people wouldn't have paid to get their car washed like you'd go out They'd and wash, wash it. the car themselves, they would or yeah. you'd get like if you had very true kids you'd get them to wash the car but yeah. like we're starting to pay for more and more things to happen and like even here to wash the car like they say half an hour of washing the car like is 200 calories okay you know like that's your walk that's your 30 minute walk we're supposed to do a minimum of 150 minutes of exercise a week so like that's 30 minutes five days a week Right. So like if you were to vig- vigorously do things like your gardening, like the heavy work is about 600 calories in an hour. Even pulling weeds is like 200, even mowing the lawn like is 250. So like there's so many different things that you can do. Mm. You know, like it, we get people into paint the house, paint the inside of the house, paint the outside of the house, clean the chutes. There's somebody to do everything. Like, can you even change a light bulb anymore? Do you know mm. what I mean? Like all of those things are all mobility. Yes. All of those things like putting things up in the top press, wash machines and stuff are now brought like up onto a height so we don't have to bend down. Like our cookers are at eye level so we can look into them. That's true. Like That's everything true. is done yeah. to make life so much easier for us. Like everything's done at the touch of a button. Like people nearly want their curtains to open and close. They're getting their curtains to open and close, aren't they? So That's when I go on the ride on lawnmower, how, how many calories do I... <laughs> Oh You're probably God. gaining calories, I'd say. You probably have a can of Red Bull Drink up on it beside you. <laughs> and the bar of chocolate. Oh, that's very good. But I mean, you, yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting point you're making because, you know, these are basic things. These are basic. Things. And, you know, they say if you remain acti- active or you become active, you're 34% less likely to be hospitalised. Okay, that's massive. Like it changes the way your body uses every single thing. 20 to 30 percent increase in the risk of death for people that don't exercise. Mm. And I find for every single person that comes through me to do a health screen, if they exercise, even if they're overweight, their health markers are better than the person that's um, slimmer or of a normal weight. So exercise is just it's massive, even for gut health, for, mm. for your brain health, for your mental health, for the stress, for the anxiety. And it doesn't have to be huge. I'd say to people, you know, and they said to me, what about the exercise piece next? I would say 20, 20 minutes. If you can do 20 minutes, five days a week, even for me, that you're slightly out of breath, I'm quite happy. So maybe find an incline, you know, find somewhere that you can just put yourself, like if you have a drive, mm. you don't have to see anyone. Just walk up and down your drive, you know, but do the stretching piece as well. Because if you don't do the stretching piece and you lose your mobility, that's where your life really starts deteriorating. Because it's supposed to be like life in your years, isn't there? Isn't there? Mm. Like, and if you start to seize up, that's fairly serious, you know. That's very good. Well, I'm still yeah. recovering from trying to touch my toes. And I may be recovering for some time where that's concerned, but but I'll say nothing else. Um, You you have a new doctor, have you? uh, We have, we have. Dr Nadira started with us on Tuesday. So um, we've been, I suppose, looking for a doctor that fitted the profile, fitted Marita's profile for the last three months. Mm. And Nadira came out of the universe somewhere. Uh, Well, you're lucky because it's so difficult to get. So uh, difficult and to get the right profile for us because we wanted somebody that, um, our profile is literally, 
an hour to every person. Mm. Uh, we take our time, we invest in the relationship piece and then we really find out what's happening behind the scenes or whatever. Mm. Uh, Nadira has it all, like uh, in relation to say like the GP side, if, if somebody hasn't got a GP, they can now come mm. to us so they can they can register with us and we can become their GP. Um, we can do it like just about like anything you want, the cardiac piece, the ECG piece, the full bloods review. So something very, very as simple as this, Fran, to do your bloods, it takes about 10 minutes, mm. right? Most of the time you'll be told they're satisfactory or they're not satisfactory. And if they're not satisfactory, you come back in. For us, we do a full blood review anyway. So mm. you, you get your bloods taken. With, with Dr. Najira now, you come back into her. She'll sit with you for an hour and she will go through every single parameter within your bloods. And mm. then she'll go through your lifestyle. Mm. You'll go home with the results. Oh, will you, you get a plan? Will totally. You, yeah, you get okay. the full lifestyle plan of if something is slightly out, if your cholesterol level is, is you know, slightly... Um, Mm. On, on the wrong side of five or whatever you know you'll get your full list of yeah. exactly what you need and the blood you'll be shown how um, your blood profile looks so yes. you'll be able to you'll be able to read it yourself like the information we're seeing liver information is, is, is a big thing cholesterol every single um, blood uh, report that was put in front of me this week Fran the cholesterol levels were up Every single report that was put in front of me, the cholesterol levels were up. And what's driving that? Well, diet, lifestyle are yeah. possibly the main ones, you know. And if you see cholesterol levels up, then you're going to see things like your mm. liver profile, uh, C-reactive protein, inflammatory marker in relation to cardio disease. You'll see these ones up. But like people need to know why they're up, what they are, what they mean, and how you can actually reduce them. And you, know. you spoke to me at the top of the programme because you were reacting to some other stuff we were discussing uh, on the programme, but the difficulty with immigration, for example, the difficulty with war all over the world, uh, you know, the, the, the rising price of everything, does that play into what you're seeing with the people coming into you? Just well, general anxiety and concern. It's the, it's the stress and anxiety. They're, they've... Th those two for me are massive. And then the other two, uh, or the other one of the big ones is not being listened to. I think that's one of the biggest, as in, when people come in, and, and a lot of people that come in this week, like traffic, the roads, people mm. were five and ten minutes late or whatever, and they're coming up the, the, the steps or whatever, and they're yes. anxious before they ever get in and sit down. And I'm like, take the coat off, cup of tea, cup of coffee, just now sit down. Five yes. minutes, just relax. And by the time they get the five minutes then, and they're ready to talk, five or ten minutes to chat, and that's just to chat about your world, what's happening, Who's in it? Who isn't? You know where you're from, or whatever's happening within the world. But that's informing you. But then, that's isn't it? and and I'm 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 assessing. Yes. As I'm as I'm listening, um, it's given me an insight into what the person is about or whatever. And this is what Dr. Najir will do. So she can do all of this piece and take her time with people, hmm. but she can also do the aesthetic piece. Yes. So like if you have an issue or you have an ailment or whatever, she can work on that with you, but she can do the other piece but together. But she can talk you through it, yeah, which, yeah, which, which yeah. is so important indeed. Um, but by the way, do you you have re resolutions yourself, do you? For the I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, yeah. but I believe in goals. Okay. So I was listening to, was it John Lynch the other day talking about goals? It was goals indeed, and, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm totally on the same page as John. Hmm. I definitely... Do I hit them all every year? I don't know whether I do or not, but I'm getting better. So I'll write them all down okay. and I, I kind of make sure by the end of the week. In a business like we're in, if you don't actually plan, you don't make progress. Mm. So if you plan and you make the goals and you lit, and I, I'm real firm believer, Fannin, sit down and make it happen. Yes. So if there's five, I won't say the bold word, horrible phone calls I have to make. Um, I'll sit and I'll put myself in the corner and I'll close the door and I'll make the five phone calls. If there's a couple of things that I have to do and I just really hate doing them, if they're on my list to do them, I'm right, okay, leave me alone for an hour. I need to get this done. And then I can tick it off my list and my head is clear. 
So I don't make like long-term goals in relation right. to I want to lose a stone weight or I want to whatever, go to the gym but, 10 but times. small things, you deal with that, you feel better. Every single on, week, yeah. um, there'll be a list of things that have to be done. Yeah. And, and you do that in January. You make a list of things that you want to do to progress and you make sure you take off at least like eight, eight out of ten of them. And if you do that by Friday, before you're coming into the following week again, you have a good weekend because you feel in your head, I've really made a difference. I've, do, I've done what I needed to do and you're only carrying over two into the next week. If you stay carrying them over, there's something wrong. Are they things that you're going to ever get to? Should you drop them off your list completely? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or, or do you need to like... Oh, it's very, very Do good it advice. Now straight away. One of our wags listening to us saying, Fran, the Kit Kats and the coffee will just have to go. Yes, and the Red Bull and all of that kind of thing. Uh, Muriel, if people want to talk to you and uh, your team, how, how can they do yeah, that? Yeah, so um, with our new doctor, they can book in from the 1st of February 1. And it's important, I suppose, for me to be able to say to people, like um, the ladies, the, the lady that just um, rang into you or whatever, um, with Dr. Nadira, you can actually get your anti-wrinkle and your um, all mm. your skin like boosters mm. and all of that kind of thing done at the same appointment as you're getting your HRT or you're getting mm. some of your other prescriptions. So that's important to know. All so right. And, and that number, did you give us the... No, the, I didn't. Okay. So the number is 052614881 or com. All right. Muriel, always good to see you. Thanks very much indeed. We'll take a break. We're back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, Clonmel has its first Mexican-style restaurant and uh, cafe with the opening of Namo Burrito and uh, Bubble Tea Bar. And uh, Namo opened on December 28th at Gladstone Street in Clonmel, offering everything from burritos to tacos and much, much more. Now, Ali uh, checked the restaurant out for us uh, this week to see what is happening there. She spoke to Ethan Butler, who is one of the people behind this new Clonmel eatery. So we've been here in Clonmel since the 28th of December um, of last year and NAMO itself has been in operation since COVID, so 2021 is when the first NAMO was opened. Um, so yeah, it was a, a difficult time for Namul to open, but uh, I think he's done a good job of it so far. And you decided to open then, kind of over the Christmas period, which is a bit of a baptism of fire, but kind of a, a, in another way it was a great time really to open, wasn't it? Yeah, you could definitely say that. Um, I suppose kind of come... The, what day it was at the 22nd of December everyone kind of dropped tools and we were finished for the Christmas period so we kind of had to do a lot of this stuff ourselves um, and yeah obviously in the hospitality industry Christmas is obviously the busiest time so we kind of knew we'd be busy from the start and that um, the queue would kind of be out the door at the yeah. start just because everyone's around you know people are home from college people are home visiting family um, but yeah you look it I, we actually wouldn't have had it any other way because it's been a great a great success so far here in Clamwell. And you've really had to hit the ground running then because of that. Has that been difficult or is it a good thing in that you're, you're distracted really a lot of the time too? Yeah, I guess if the staff are kind of were able for that period, then I think they're kind of going to be able for any challenge yeah. that comes to them now, you know. Um, it's a credit to them really. I had them all trained in Kilkenny and then they were kind of up the pace, I suppose, by the time we actually opened. Um, 
but yeah, they, they, it certainly hit the ground running and and hopefully it, it continues to do so. Yeah. So tell me what kind of food and, and beverages then are on offer here? So Namo um, is a Mexican food. So we kind of got your burritos, tacos, nachos, and then we also have Namo Plus, which is kind of, I suppose Namo is kind of two businesses in one really. We have Namo Plus, which is kind of separate entity, and you kind of we do our boba tea there, acai bowls, um, smoothies, and coffee. Tell me what those are now. The boba tea, what is that? So boba tea um, are basically, they're all different teas. So you kind of be green, uh, green tea, Earl Grey tea is what they're based on. Or you can get lemonades. And then they've got boba in them. So boba are a type of starch. Um, so we've got a lot of different flavors. Um, so kind of strawberry, mango, passion fruit. Where else you got the original, which is tapioca, which is a, a type of starch, and it comes from Asia. So they're like the bubble teas that people might know of. They're the bubble teas, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a, a growing trend here yeah. in Ireland. Um, very big in like the likes of America and Asia and stuff. But yeah, yeah. hopefully it's get big in Ireland now too. And the acai bowls, then what are those? So acai bowls. Um, so they're another word for name for them is smoothie bowls. Um, so again, a lot of people wouldn't know what they are, but it's base. You have a base, so that's acai. So acai comes from Brazil. It's acai pulp. It's a superfood, actually. Mm. Um, and our acai base is mixed with strawberries and bananas as well. So it's completely sugar-free. Um, it's basically a healthy snack. And then we top it with granola. Then you can get peanut butter, um, different types of fruit, strawberry, um, banana, kiwi. And yeah, no, it's a, it's a very, it's a very healthy sweet treat. It sounds breakfasty. Is it breakfasty though, or can it be anything? Yeah, like you can have it for breakfast, you can have it for lunch, you can have it for dinner if you want. But um, yeah, it's a, you can have it kind of has like yeah breakfast, or you could have it for a dessert maybe after the Mexican food. That's kind of the idea behind it. So. Yeah. I think, like, Irish people love trying out new things. And are you finding that here? They might necessarily know what the SAE bowls or the, the bubble teas are, but they're more than willing to try them. Yeah, I think Irish people are, are definitely kind of broadening their horizons when it comes to, to food. Um, I think COVID definitely helped that. And, you know, it's just, it's food is just getting bigger and bigger in Ireland. And, yeah, certainly, like, you know, when we opened in Clamell, nobody knows what a burrito is, you know, and it's... And, and nobody knows what acai bowls, but in fairness to the people at Clamell, they've been really, they've been giving it a go and trying it, and they seem to be loving it so far. So yeah, I was going to say they obviously seem to love it because you've queues out the door most days. So I mean, that's a great indictment of, of what you're bringing here. Yeah, in fairness to the people of Clamell, they've been they might have been standing out in the cold weather for a bit, but um, by the time they actually came to the till and were leaving the shop with their food, they had a smile on their face. So that's a credit to them as well, you know. And um, we're trying to give everyone the best experience we can and. And I think the food is just kind of speaking for itself, nearly in fairness. Uh, Cam Rule, our head chef, he's done a great job of, of getting the, the flavours and the ingredients right. And, and he's really created some great food for us. Ethan, you're, you're a young man. You certainly appear to be a young man anyway. Can I be bold and ask you how old you are? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 24. That's really young to be setting up a business then. Is that incredibly daunting for you or is it incredibly exciting or a little bit of both? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be taking the credit at all, to be honest. We have a great team around us. You know, we've got Namul, who's only 25. Even Rosina is only 25, and then Camrul is a head chef as well. He's a bit, a bit older than Namul, and you know we've got a lot of people helping us. We've got a lot of support. You know, it's it's certainly made a lot easier because of them. Um, but yeah, it obviously is daunting. You know, I kind of only came out of college in, in I only graduated this year or last year, so it was kind of straight into it. But um, yeah, I've had Namul there for guidance and Rosina for guidance, who have been there from the start. And, and, and I've definitely been able to kind of rely on them if I ever run into any problems, you know? Was it always something you wanted to do? Yeah, I guess I kind of took the less the route less traveled um, when it came out of college. So a lot of people kind of that done my course would have went into kind of bigger companies yeah. and stuff and be working in Dublin and stuff. And yeah, 
I just kind of had worked with Namul all the way along, kind of from the start, and I just knew I was going to kind of come here and work with him, and it, it's definitely been very rewarding, you know, it's yeah. been a different experience, and, and um, it's been tough at times, but I, I'm, hopefully he'll stand by me in the, in the future. It's lovely to see another restaurant or takeaway coming into Clonmel. We're seeing a lot of them popping up all over. You've the hub kind of around the corner, you've Lana across the road. Do you think that's what could be done to revitalise Clonmel, is more food areas? I mean, we see the success of them in McCurtain Street in Cork. Could we replicate that here? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think a lot of businesses kind of in Clonmel had set up around kind of um, the ring road there and kind of set up outside of town and the footfall in Clonmel town has kind of died down a bit, but I mean, what better way to get people back into the Clonmel Centre than food? You know, everyone loves food, everyone loves going out for food. Um, it's one thing that I think everyone loves. So, yeah, like, we can make Clonmel a foodie spot, why not? Um, you know, Clonmel Arms is coming back as well, and that's going to bring more footfall into town. And, and we've got a little bit of a, a foodie section going on around here now. And, and long may it continue, you know, maybe we might have some uh, farmer's market or something on a Sunday coming into Clonmel, and why not, sure. Be great. What's the plan for the future, then? Um, the, for the future, well, for Clamel itself, um, we're going to have to start deliveries, I suppose. Um, but yeah, just our, our staff have been working so hard, you know, you see the, the queues out the door at the moment. So I don't want to do that just yet, just because it'd be too much for them, you know. Um, but yeah, we'll start deliveries and then, you know, we might announce a, a new location, be it in Tipperary or another county in the, in the month, next month or two. I feel like you're teasing. Whereabouts in Tipperary? Uh, I can't say that yet. You know, that's, uh, that's something. But you'll, you'll see it on our Instagram anyway. If you, if you keep an eye on our Instagram, we'll As if you didn't there. have enough stress. <laughs> I know, I know. We're probably, we're not helping ourselves, but sure, look, you know what? In terms of social media, how important is that to kind of get the message out? And in terms of marketing, I mean, that, that's where people go now. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, again, like... NAMO was set up during COVID and I think um, social media like TikTok and Instagram were, were huge then you know a lot of the businesses in the hospitality even were doing things on Instagram just because I think everyone was on Instagram and TikTok there was really nothing else to be doing so that's kind of why our marketing is all really based around TikTok and, and, and Instagram um, so yeah you can find us at NAMO Ireland and, and that's where we'll post all our updates and, and whatever is going on you know we have a nice following there and, and hopefully the following will continue to grow but, yeah, you, if we're announcing a new restaurant or whatever, or new deals, yeah, you can find us there on Instagram. So when people want to come down then, where do they go and what time are you open? So our location is 50 Gladstone Street in Clonmel, in the centre. Um, so we open the Mexican at 11am and it closes at 9pm on a Sunday to a Wednesday. And then we're open till 10pm on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then our Namo Plus, which is the acai coffee, people can get that from 9am in the morning. And that closes at 8pm at night. Oh, it sounds absolutely delicious, and we wish them well indeed. And they're so young. Isn't that fantastic to see young people like that um, setting up business? And we wish them all the success in the world. I'd love to try bubble tea. I, I love Mexican food, and I would enjoy uh, burritos and tacos and all of that. But bubble tea, I've never, I've heard about it, but I've never tried it. Love to, love to try that. Now, following on from some queries, can I just put it to you that the owners of the old convent in Kerr say there is no deal to house any refugees in the building. Now, there have been rumours circulating in the area that male asylum seekers were being moved into the building, but the trustees of the Coptic community have now issued us with a statement saying that is not the case. And the rumour mill has ramped up in Kerr um, over recent weeks that an announcement was imminent that male asylum seekers would be moving in to the former uh, convent. And last week, Matty McGrath 
told us that um, he'd gotten confirmation from the Department of Integration that it had no plans to use the building as a night pass um, emergency accommodation centre. However, uh, Matty did say that he was told that the Department of Housing may be interested in refurbishing the site for Ukrainian families in the future. Now, the owners have confirmed that this is not the case. There are no such plans agreed whatsoever. And in that statement, the trustees of the Coptic community have stressed that they have not entered into any agreement and have never expressed any intention to use the building for the purpose of housing asylum seekers or Ukrainian refugees. And we're very happy indeed to make that very clear. All right, we'll take a break and then we've got farming. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Yeah, one of our listeners says, just on that person's message, Ross Gray is not a racist town, Fran. You just have to walk through it to know that uh, business people in the town, people of colour running these businesses are well uh, supported. Uh, that's a mad notion that the media have put into people's heads that the town is racist. The town is underfunded, underdeveloped and we're all fed up. It's a big difference to being racist, says one of our listeners. All right then, it's time to talk farming and I'm delighted to be joined as usual by the Deputy News Editor with the Farmers Journal, Katrina Morrissey. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today. Um, we're going to start with good news. God knows we need good news, Katrina. Irish beef back to uh, China. Yeah, great news. Um, announced yesterday when the uh, Chinese Premier Li Qiang met with Minister for Agriculture Charlie McConlogue and Minister Martin Hayden in Dublin. Um, as you know, Irish beef has been temporarily suspended from the Chinese market. That was since November last year. Um, and that was because we had a case of what's called atypical BSE in a cow. Hmm. And the the, um, the Chinese authorities are particularly strict on any BSE cases in countries where they buy beef from. So there was an automatic suspension. It's part of our terms of trade, as it were, with China. There was an automatic suspension because this case was found in terms of the, the, the BSE that was found. It's, it's what's called an atypical BSE. It's spontaneous sporadic. It just occurs in nature. There's nothing any farmer or any policy in this country could have done to prevent it. Um, But nonetheless, it triggered an automatic suspension. Irish beef was locked out of the Chinese market and is now back in. So good news, Mm. I think. You know, it's it's an extra outlet for Irish beef. The more outlets we have for Irish beef, the more demand there will be, the better the price will be to farmers. It's, it's not a huge market, though, is my understanding, Katrina, is it? Not a huge market, yeah. exactly. So it's, I mean, we send the majority of our beef to neighbouring countries, in particular the UK. So hmm. being locked out of the UK would be an absolutely disastrous situation for hmm. Irish beef. And, and so by comparison, China is not as important. But I suppose in order for... It's the pennies that makes the pounds, as they say. Of course, yeah. And you have to have lots of markets, lots of different outlets for different types of beef because different markets will have different preferences. Um, mm. So, yeah, in the scheme of things, China not huge, but nonetheless very important because it's a, it's a diversity in the market that you want. You want lots of customers. But but that atypical BSE, I mean, that could happen again tomorrow, I guess. Um, it could, yeah. And, and you know, we had only barely been back in China, um, having been suspended because of another atypical case. 
um, several years ago and and that is the nature of atypical BSE. We can't predict it. It's not a management thing. You know, it's sporadic. It occurs in nature. It's not anything controllable um, and that's I suppose the difficulty and why I suppose the Irish authorities, Irish farmers, Irish beef processors were all so disheartened by being locked out of China in November because the last time we were locked out, we were locked out for nearly three years. This time a much faster return to the market, which is very welcome. So we're back in in less than three months. Can we uh, chat about the, the special that's in the journal this week, which is the third level education? Especially, it's a full guide for CAO, isn't it for for the year? It is, yeah, a very important time of the year, I suppose, for for leaving their students and their parents, who are often you know more yeah. invested sometimes in the CAO than the students themselves. Um, so we have basically a, a nine page special all about the CAO. The deadline is the 1st of February. So what this has is just everything really that any of the students who are sitting the leave insert this year need to know with a particular focus then on what your options might be if you're interested in working in the agriculture food industry. Um, there's information there on the new apprenticeship schemes. So there was uh, 8,700 students registered for apprenticeships last year and it's something that Minister Simon Harris mm-hmm. is really driving. Um, so information there. And then also looking at some of the grants um, that might be available for students, which when you're going to an expensive city for accommodation um, or perhaps commuting instead of staying somewhere for college, that's all very important. So um, some information mm. on the grants there and also um, information for other um, students who maybe have disabilities and might need some other, I suppose, extra support there to be able to go to college. Yes. What, what about veterinary? Uh, because so many of our students, if they want to study veterinary, they have to go abroad. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually said that there are more students studying veterinary. There are more Irish students studying veterinary abroad these days than there are actually studying veterinary in Ireland. Um so Minister for Minister Simon Harris, obviously this is his area as well. He has said there will be a second veterinary school. Um, it will be outside Dublin, we understand. Still no announcement. We know that Southeast Technical University in Waterford, um, University Limerick, mm. and then a kind of a, a consortium including IT Tralee, they've all pitched for it. There is another pitch from the combined kind of Donegal and Atlantic Technical University there. Uh, still no word on who's going to get it. And I suppose the talk and the gossip is, will it go to a place that already has a medicine course? Because yeah. there will be quite an overlap there in in the the knowledge that was needed within the college itself. Or will it go to some other area? And um, it's still to be seen. I think it's a pity we don't know at this stage because it's going to push the opening date back for, uh, you know, we're not lo- we're not going to have any intake into that college no matter where it is, in September 2024, it's going to be September 2025. The longer it takes to make the decision, the further away it is for students who want to study veterinary in Ireland. And and they're badly needed. You know, there is a shortage of vets in the country. The brand new Farmers Alliance Party uh, as well. Um, What's the situation there ahead of elections? Are they beginning to show their hand, so to speak? They are, 
yeah, so they have now officially um, registered with the Electoral Commission as a, as a party. Um, they are, so they're drafting a manifesto, so that means that we'll be able to see, you know, what, what is their stance on various issues. And they say that they're going to, they've already selected about 40 candidates to run and that they expect to put more candidates forward then in the European and Parliament. And these aren't existing candidates, uh, or existing parties. No, these, these yeah. would appear to be all fresh new faces in terms of political um, election. Wow. And, okay. and I think that seems to be, I suppose, the gist of where this party is coming from, is that yes. they don't feel that the current system is working. They don't feel that their current elected representatives are doing what they want them to do, so they are going to put in their own candidates. Um, so they are. So there's about a 21 day um, period. They've applied to become a political party. There's a 21 day period, which is, some of which has already elapsed. Mm. Um, uh, but they they look set to to be approved as a political party, and then will decide mm. and set out their candidates for the local and European elections. Will they have other issues in their manifesto besides farming issues, Katrina? Yeah, they will. They will, and I think any party has to have. Um, and and we know that from so far from what we've seen from the Farmers Alliance, uh, they seem to have very strong strong opinions on immigration. Mm. Um, and you would imagine that anybody who wants to get elected has to have policies for potential voters on things like health and housing. You know, so anything that affects me as a voter, you as a voter, they will need to have a position on. So we're going to have a look at that manifesto in detail when it comes, mm. um, but it's not there yet, so we don't know exactly their position yet. You and I have spoken about the Board Bia cattle trading proposal. Far- farmers are rejecting that. Yeah, absolutely. And various farming groups and farming organisations have mm. have reacted angrily um, to the suggestion that only you know, that someone who is buying cattle should only buy from another quality assured yes. farm. And in fact, we have a story on FarmersJournal.ie today saying that there may be a court injunction sought to stop the ICBF, which is the Irish Cattle Breeders Federation, um, implementing the changes that have caused this, or sorry, um, implementing the the changes to the suckler scheme, which is another issue on the same vein. So for suckler farmers, particularly affected by the the recommendation that they would buy, uh, that beef buyers would only buy from quality assured farms. Suckler farmers also deeply unhappy with the um, the latest iteration of the indexes, the beef indexes. So two issues affecting similar group of farmers there, that kind of suckler producer typically in the West or Western seaboard. You have a piece as well, Katrina, in the, the journal this week about farmers affected by flooding along the Shannon Callows there. Yeah, this is a story that we covered and, and it was all over the National Airways, I suppose, as well. Yeah. In kind of May-June last year, they were flooded. So the Shannon Callows is an area along the Shannon that floods for large parts of the year, but then is dry in the midsummer. And the farmers along there have always taken hay um, from the ground in the summer that would be completely inaccessible in, in the winter, spring and, and autumn months. Um, but this year it got flooded in the summer and they lost the equivalent of about 50,000 bales of fodder, um, which has to be got because mm. they still have the same number of animals. They still have the same feeding to do. So they had to go out then and buy fodder that they would normally produce themselves. So what uh, I suppose um, Rachel Donovan in the Farmer's Journal today says that there were some farmers who were excluded from a scheme. So there was a support scheme put in place by Minister Charlie McConlogue. Some farmers not 
uh, meeting the terms of that and being told that they're not eligible. Um, so there's unhappiness there. And they also want the management of the river levels along the Shannon. They're very exercised about the fact that, and we've heard it, the argument that the ESB is holding water back when it could let more water yes, down yeah. and avoid that flooding. Um so water management is a real issue for farmers along that area in the Callows. Mm, but uh, Michael Silk there being very, very upfront about this and saying if something isn't done, there's no future for any of us uh, on the Callows, which is strong stuff, isn't it? It is strong stuff. And, you know, that's that's the reality, I suppose. We're in a time of climate change, so we're getting these heavy downpours of rain in bursts. You know, yeah. for years we've had, you know, very kind of, Soft rain, we'll call it, and regular rain. And and that type of rainfall is a very different thing to manage water levels in rivers um, to that sudden downpour of inches of inches of rain at a time. And, and farmers are, are at the coalface, I suppose, of that. And they believe that the, the actual human management of the river could be done better to help exas- to help kind of mitigate some of that effect of the, the changing climate and weather. Katrina, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed and uh, good morning to you, Katrina. That's uh, Katrina Morrissey there, Deputy News Editor of the Farmer's Journal and the journal is on your shelves right now. Uh, just a, a final comment from a listener. Thank you, by the way, for all of your WhatsApp and your... your text and indeed your phone calls and your emails as well. Uh, we leave you with this one. Hi friend, the proposal from the government and buying the hotel in Ross Grey and doing it up to appease the people of Ross Grey is a waste of taxpayers' money. It will take at least two years to get it up and running. Now we have nursing home closures throughout the country that uh, will be reopened in time to house more asylum seekers. We're all going to get old someday. There was a proposal recently to build huge nursing homes in cities and major towns. God knows where our loved ones will have to go when the time comes. Ireland has changed so much since I was a child, says one of our listeners. That's it from me for today. And uh, Ember produced, Ali looked after our content. And uh, Stephen is on the way with the uh, Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves in the meantime, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.